Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to Mer May. Yay! We're doing it. Yeah, we've had it like planned on the schedule for a couple of years, but I keep having to like readjust it. I think the year that we did the Thousand and One Nights, uh, we did Julnar, the yeah, Seaborn. Yeah. For May. I think. And then we like had May off last year, I think, yeah, because we life was just crazy. Yeah, accidentally had May off. Accidentally, yeah. Accidentally, but retroactively, we purposefully took a break <laughs> on accident. Oh, wait. No, yeah. It was May. We purposefully were like, oh, you know what? We're crazy busy. We're going to have to take this uh, month off. And then it was like July or August. No, October. October was the one that we... Just didn't. Just too much happened. Yeah, that was that was crazy. It's behind us now. But we're doing it. We're finally doing it. We're doing Mermaid. And I couldn't be more pleased than I am right now. We're especially excited because today we are going to be retelling the story that kind of started the whole podcast that we haven't told yet, even though it's almost been four years have we not told it? We have no, we have not we have not told the story of the little mermaid. Oh, we haven't told the story. We've told the story about how that started the podcast, but we haven't actually retold the story. Yeah. Gotcha. Because like 4 years ago, they announced the cast list for Disney's live action Little Mermaid and a bunch of white supremacists like exploded. Yeah. And were so upset. And a friend of mine was seeing so many people saying things like, oh, well, in the original, or like, mermaids can't be black, or in the original, this is a story that is has its roots in Scandinavian culture. And so you can't change the color of the, like, the little mermaid. And, you know, this friend of mine asked me, knowing that I love researching fairy tales, that I've done a lot of digging on that topic before and I used to uh, rewrite fairy tales to make them a little more um, meme centered and fun. Uh, She asked me like, what do you think about this? Like is what they're saying true? And I was like, no, in absolutely zero way is any of what they're saying like relevant or true. The little mermaid was written by Hans Christian Andersen. It, It's a literary fairy tale. We've talked about literary fairy tales before. Last year, we ended up telling a literary fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen and also one of his folktale retellings because he does retell folktales. That's in his repertoire. But he's the most famous for his literary fairy tales. And The Little Mermaid is one of those. Um, So anyway, replying to that person, telling them, Like, oh, yeah, all this is crazy. This is insane. And here are the reasons why. So it was when I was explaining all of the various reasons why every single argument that white supremacists had was wrong. Like, just logically, like ignoring the fact that white supremacy is wrong. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> that's just that's just baseline. Um, but every other, you know, their justifications for why, like, oh, it's not because I'm a white supremacist. It's because of X, Y, Z. I was like, no, all of these don't matter. And it was when I was, like, knocking down those points that, you know, several of my friends were like, you should start a podcast. And between, we had kind of joked that we would do The Little Mermaid when Little Mermaid came out, but then the pandemic happened. Oh, yeah. And it got, like, delayed even more. I think it was, like, delayed, like, a year and a half, something like that. So, yeah, it's been, like, four years since they announced the cast. If that also gives people, like, an idea of how long it takes to produce a movie, that's a good scale. A long time. Get it? Scale? Like a scaly fish. <laughs> like a, a mer- mermaid a mermaid scale. I gotcha. The Little Mermaid movie live action Disney version is finally being released this month. And so we thought that it would be a fun idea for us to retell Hans Christian Andersen's original The Little Mermaid. And again, we can say original because this is a literary fairy tale. But we also are going to tell two rather short uh, folk tales that Hans Christian Andersen could have heard versions of as he was growing up that would have informed some of the world that he shaped inside of his story. So we're going to be telling some quick stories. So this story comes from Norway. It's from the book Scandinavian Folklore, Illustrations of the Traditional Beliefs of the Northern People. And this story is called The Fisherman and the Merman. Mm. So there was once a cold, wintry day, and there was a fisherman who had gone out to sea. He had noticed that it had begun to grow stormy as he was about to return. And there is a common belief that if you see a mer person, that means that a storm is coming. Like, if you are a human being and you see a mermaid, then you need to get back to shore as quickly as possible Uh because like a storm is brewing. And so it makes sense thematically (laughs) that in this story, he is, you know, out fishing and he sees a storm is like already brewing. And he looked out into the water and near to his boat, he saw an old man with a long gray beard riding on the waves which i was like wow (laughs) i've seen some of that in california (laughs) (laughs) yeah surfers are aging out these days Uh, yeah just like out there riding the waves it's like old man with a beard but immediately when the fisherman saw this guy he knew that it was a merman As he was looking out at this guy, he heard the merman exclaim, oh, how cold it is, and started to like shiver as he was like riding on the waves. And so the fisherman, hearing, you know, this merman complain about the weather, realizing that, you know, he was pretty well situated on his boat, but this guy looked, the merman looked like he was pretty cold. So in this story, it says he took off his hose, which... If people are not familiar, that translation, like hose usually means like pants, like tights, but it doesn't make sense. Listen, mentally, it doesn't make sense to me why he took off his pants and gave his pants to the cold merman. 
Anyway, but it says that he took off like an item of clothing. It makes more sense in my mind. I don't know. Listen, I don't. For it to be a jacket or something. Yeah, for it to be like a jacket, his coat, something. Yeah, especially because like when you picture like a mer person, and again, it may be different because we have like a very stereotypical idea of what that is in our minds, but they would not really have a use for pants the way that I imagine a mer person because they've got a fish bottom half. Yeah, like how are my pants going to (laughs) fit onto like a merman and fix his problem? Anyway, so he looked cold. The fisherman took off an item and he had said, oh, how cold it is. So a fisherman (laughs) took off an item of clothing. Just like (laughs) hinting like, boy, it sure is cold out here. (laughs) Wish somebody would help a brother out. Oh, well. Pass me some fishnet stockings. (laughs) Stylish. Anyway, so the fisherman pulled them, like, pulled whatever clothing item off, threw it to him, and the merman snatched a hold of it and disappeared with it. And the fisherman was able to make it back to land safely. So, sometime after this, the fisherman was, again, out to sea, far from land, And suddenly the merman stuck his head up next to the boat that the guy was in and he shouted to him, here you man that gave the hose. This is again relevant. (laughs) Uh, Maybe for a rhyme, I don't know. Like a a Norse rhyme, I don't know. Uh Some Norwegian rhyme. Take your boat and make for sure it thunders under Norway. And which I think that's interesting that thunders under Norway. Yeah. When that makes it sound like the uh, so, uh, the storm is raging under the water about to come up. Anyway, it's fine. So the fisherman immediately like trusted this merman and started heading out as quickly as he could to get back home. And it said that there came a terrible storm, the likes of which had never been seen before. And many people were drowned. But by the time the storm broke, he was already safe. At home. The giver of hose. <laughs> the giver of hose. <laughs> is often rewarded. That's the moral of the story. The giver <laughs> of hose is often rewarded. That's what we want, you know, our listeners to know. These important proverbs. So that short little story is basically just to illustrate how merfolk, especially like up in these smaller countries, all that are close to a coast or have a lot of like coastline, stories of human humanoid creatures like in the water being mythical creatures interacting. Again, we've talked on the podcast before about how mermaids, humanoid fish, people that live like underwater, like that concept is very old. It's all over the place. Everybody kind of has one. But how the lore surrounding them is different. And so like in this story, storms plus mermaids or mermaids equal storms. They're a warning. They're like an omen of things to come, which I mean, it does obviously make me wonder if fishermen, when they were out would see a lot of like busy, sudden busy activity from seals, sea lions, otters, dolphins, whales, right before a storm happens. If a lot of those mammals that, you know, they need oxygen and so they're always kind of at the surface of the water. 
if they suddenly would become more active before a storm and a fisherman just kind of noticed that. Yeah. And several times, you know, mistakenly thought they were seeing a mermaid. That makes total sense. So the story that Jeff is going to retell has a little bit more of a Christian bent to it, which is going to be very relevant to The Little Mermaid. So this story is called Aneta and the Merman. Again, two merman stories. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. We don't we don't see enough of them. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> all right. Aneta and the Merman. Which Aneta is spelled A-G-N-E-T-E. I had to look up how to spell it because it's uh, from Denmark, so it's Danish, and I knew that the pronunciation was not going to be how it looked, and I'm glad I did because I'm avoiding making myself look as foolish as I could have. So the thing that's interesting about this story, too, that, I, that I'm going to bring up before I start is that it's like a poem. Yeah. And so it was like really kind of weird and hard to like retell because it's like I can't just I'm not going to do my retelling like in like it rhymes the whole thing rhymes Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do my retelling in a rhyme that would have been really cool to like just rewrite it basically but that's not kind of our style you know what I mean but there are some of the lines that are like pretty good so I will quote them like verbatim just so you get the cool like uh, you know the rhyme and you get a feel for what the story is like yeah the beauty of it yeah and it's like really interesting because it it, so much of you know I, I feel like after this you might get the story maybe better than just reading the poem. Cause again, I had to think through a lot. I was like, what are they actually saying? Cause a lot of the feeling and emotion and the ideas are, just, are come across like kind of through the poetic language and stuff like that too. It's like, they don't really say stuff outright. You just kind of put it together based on, you know, like the emotional poetry words and stuff they're doing. It's yeah. really, it's really interesting. It was really good. It's, it's enjoyable. But anyway, so we'll start off with a little bit of a direct quote from the poem because I, I'd like to start off how the story as we have it recorded starts like with once upon a time or whatever. Cause there's lots of really interesting ones. This one, not as interesting cause it just jumps right in and it says, Aneta, she was guileless. She was beloved and true, but solitude, it charmed her and mirth. She never knew. She never knew. Repeated for dramatic emphasis (laughs) in the actual poem. Not me. That was what the the writer chose to do. She made the joy of all around, yet never felt it too. Starts off in a really sad place. And it gets better. But then what happens after it gets better? You'll find out. (laughs) Maybe you'll be as upset as I was. But basically it starts off, there's this lonely, innocent girl named Aneta. Everyone loves her, but she's lonely and sad. Um, and one day, she's staring forlornly out at the ocean over the waves, and she sees a merman rising up from the ocean depths. And it very poetically describes this merman, saying his hair was as if it were spun from pure gold, and his eyes glowed, metaphorically, I assume, with the warmest <laughs> love imaginable. And also apparently he was covered in scales. That is official canon because it describes, again, very poetically, like his warm heart beneath his scale-covered bosom, which I thought was also interesting because yeah. when you're getting a mental image of a, of a mer person, think I like waist down fish mm-hmm. from there up human, but it's like scaled, he had scaled bosom as well. So maybe it's more like, you know, the Aquaman style mm-hmm. of mer underwater people. Lots of different types. Maybe they're going back to more traditional <laughs> roots. <laughs> I doubt it. But anyway. I doubt it. 
Oh, that was interesting. So why is it talking so much about like his warm heart beneath the scale covered bosom, his eyes glowing with the warmest love imaginable because he was radiating love for Aneta. And he starts singing this song full of love and sorrow because to this point, his love has been unrequited. And so he's singing, it says, so sadly sweet, he's saying, it seemed as if his beating heart upon his lips, it sprang, which I thought was a really beautiful line. Just talking about how he's singing, his song is so sweet and so like full of emotion that it's like, you know, he's pouring out his feelings straight out of his heart through his mouth. And basically the gist of the song was like, girl, I want you so bad. That's like, that's, that's it, you know, um, but you're breaking my heart. And so he starts giving her tons of gifts. He's like, here are these two silver buckles. Put them on your stuff. Here's a string of rare pearls that you can have. He takes a ring, like this blinged out ring, like totally encrusted with jewels, takes it off his own finger. And he's like, here's this ring. You can have it. Look at this ring. And he's basically talking about how like, you know, this, these are greater treasures than like lots of princes and princesses of the world have. Meanwhile, <laughs> Aneta is apparently just like staring out at sea because when it cuts back to her perspective, it just starts describing like how blue the ocean is and how soft the sky is. <laughs> and <laughs> so I just imagine him, he's like singing and she's just like still like staring off and was like, oh, wow, look at how blue the ocean is. It's like, there's a mythical merc person <laughs> singing you a song straight from the heart, bequeathing you gifts of like, you know, valuable treasures. And you're just like looking at the sky, the like gray sky. Anyway. So this merman draws closer to Aneta and he's continues singing. He's like, my heart is burning with love. My heart is breaking for you. It's going to break. I swear. Just give me the love I seek, please. And Aneta finally manages to pull her easily distracted eyes away from the waves for a second. So she can be like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll give you the love that you seek, but under one condition that you take me away with you to your home beneath the ocean. And so the merman at this stops up her ears and mouth to prevent water from getting in and dives with her deep into the ocean, which I thought was interesting because he had to stop up her ears and mouth to take her in the ocean. But then once they get to his home beneath the sea, her ears and mouth can be unstoppered and she doesn't drown apparently because once they got down to the home beneath the sea, they kissed and embraced quote, so fond and safe and free. And so Aneta lived there with this merman for two years. And so warm and untiring and faithful was their love for each other, if you know what I mean. But she gave birth to two baby boys. Gets you a little better idea of what I mean, right? <laughs> What's funny is you made like a similar joke in the Magic Mirror like episode where you're like, after they'd spent some time together, if you know what I mean. <laughs> She had three children. It was like. I wonder what they were doing during that time together, that that would happen. Like sometimes when you just hang out with each other, that's where babies come from. And I'm yeah. Like, you spend a lot of time with someone and then babies just like spontaneously appear. I never got the talk. Uh, you can probably tell. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> just by looking at you, I can tell you never had the talk. <laughs> so one day, Aneta's just chilling there in the bottom of the sea, singing to her boys. And she hears the sound of a church bell ringing. And so she jumps up, jumps away from the cradle immediately and runs to her mer partner and says, hey, uh, do you mind if I run off to Holmvale Church real quick before midnight? 
Because apparently she recognized it as the bell of the Homevale Church nope. or Homevale. I don't know. It has an accent over the E. I tried to look up how to pronounce that, but I couldn't find anything about it. Yeah. Almost as if maybe that church no longer exists because it's hundreds of years old or maybe it was fake to begin with. Who knows? And anyway, so she's like, can I run off to the Homevale Church real quick before midnight? That's a real important point. And the merman's like, okay, fine. That's fine. Um, just be back here before daybreak. And he, you know, says, go, go, go. But ere the morning light return, come to thy sons below. So it's like, come back to your babies before before day and we'll be good. Yeah. And so again, he stops up her ears and mouth and takes her up to the surface. And he says, all right, well, see ya. And dives back down below. And Anetta runs to the churchyard immediately where she finds her mother standing there. And her mother sees Anetta and with a sigh, it says, starts talking to her and says, like, basically, where have you been? Like, so far away from me. You, you never write. You never call. What's going on? And Anetta's like, oh, well, I've been living under the sea. Because as we all know, everything's better down where it's wetter. Take it under from me. the what? sea. Take it from me. You got it. Uh, under the sea. Um, and she's like, listen, like, things have been great down there. You know, I've been living under the sea where me and my mer spouse have two little mer babies. And I just came up here to pray real quick. And then I got a dip, literally, back into the ocean to my, sea, my home in the sea below. And so her mom is like, okay, listen here, Aneta, up here on land where we got a lot of sand, <laughs> your two young daughters have been weeping because they miss you so much. Won't you stay up here with them? And I'm like, wait a second. She has kids up here on the land. This is the first time hearing of this plot twist is what that's called. And so her mom's basically like banging her like, stay up with your daughters. And Aneta replies, quote, let them both grieve and long. My ears are closed. I cannot hear their cries among the waves. And then basically says like, I need to go back down to my sons or they'll die without me. Which that last part is a pretty strong argument. The first part seems kind of cold hearted to me, but yeah. maybe that's what happens to your heart when it's been submerged in ice cold water for two years. I guess. And so the mother's like, think of your daughters, quote, forget yawn elves, which I thought was kind of interesting mm. that she's calling them elves. Like it's kind of just like, Fae or like yeah. myth, myth, mythical creature, whatever kind of a term. And then also she says, stay, she says, stay up here with your lawful children, which I thought was also an interesting. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, uh, she obviously had a husband on, yeah. on land and kids on land. And so it's like, mm. she like just abandoned them to go down and be under the sea with her new mer lover, her, her new beau, very unchristian of her. And Anetta responds to her mom and is like, okay, you know, let whatever's going to happen to them happen. Once again, my heart is closed. I only care about my mer sons now. The mother replies back to her. She's like, come on, think of your children and think of what happened to their father when you left. And she says, quote, as soon as thou wert lost to him, the son of joy was set. It's like, oh man. So he got really sad that his wife Disappeared. He didn't know what happened to her. Yeah, I mean, apparently this woman is quite a jewel, considering that it's like she had some like fish dude that was like, oh my gosh, she's so hot. She had a human man who was like, this is the sunshine of my life. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm pretty like wonderful. <laughs> Everybody's so hot for me. Yeah, it's like her her emotional detachment is really what draws the people in. <laughs> I guess. Or something. Yeah. 
But yeah, so Aneta's mom is like, he was looking for you everywhere. He went a weary way. At last, from yonder shelving rock, he cast himself one day. One dismal day. His corpse upon the pebbly strand in the dim twilight lay. Oh, gosh. Quite the dark turn. And then she, the mother goes on to say, it's like, it wasn't that long ago that they brought his coffin here to this very church and rang the midnight church bells. And as she says that, the church bells start ringing once again. And Aneta walks through the door to the church. And when she does, I'm not exactly sure what happens, but it says like, basically says like the world starts spinning around her. Like the, the views of inside the church, like just starts spinning and everything's getting kind of crazy. She sees the altar, she sees other stuff. And you know, because the whole world is spinning, she falls to the ground as you would very dizzy. And when she falls to the ground, she looks and she sees a tombstone that has her mother's name on it. She was dead the whole time. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. And seeing this, Aneta staggers back, faints, and falls, and it concludes the story thusly. Now, neither sons nor daughters more to her their wants may tell. I let them weep and let them long, and seek her o'er and o'er. Dark, dark are now her eyes so bright, they never shall open more. Oh, nevermore. The end. And definitely not happily ever after no. did they live. <laughs> like, this woman would be like, um, your husband was so upset that he killed himself and now your daughters have nobody. And also, I'm dead. I was dead the whole time. I am not gonna lie. I'm very confused about what happened in this whole story. Like, it, it went so many ways that I did not expect. Like, it started off kind of sadder than I would have thought, but then it's like, oh, it's sad. But then she goes and she like has this happy life with like the merman under the sea. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's great. And then it's like, you know, there's going to be some complications. I know how stories work. <laughs> Things aren't happy the whole time. There's got to be some sort of conflict. Yeah. I took sixth grade English class. So she goes back up and sees her mom and her mom's like, you got to stay up here. And then it's like a oh, plot twist. She had kids and a husband up here and like, oh, super sad. The kids just cry all day because they want their mom and their little orphans because their dad was so upset that he, you know, killed himself because he could, when he couldn't find his wife. Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't care about anything up here. I'm going back under the sea. And it's like, dang, like our heroine is looking less uh, heroic by the minute. Yeah. So when you had said, when you were retelling it, like, oh, what's really interesting is they uh, said, like mentioned fairies or the fae. Yeah. And elves. Elves. This, oh, that makes sense. Cause it's Danish. Elves make more sense than fae as a word. Right. But when you said like, oh, like they say elves, this story is very, very similar to tales of fairies and elves taking human people. Usually in the stories, Mm -hmm. we think of them as like taking children. But what they're more likely to take are women brides. Mm-hmm. And they will be like, oh, you stepped into a fairy mound. You went into a nature location that you were not supposed to be. You're in our realm now. And now you are going to become an enchanted bride that forgets all about the past that you used to live. And so it's interesting because it, it's the same type of story. Right. The only difference is that it's by the water, mm-hmm. that the realm isn't under the ground it's in this place that is so familiar to everybody that's there but is also a place that they cannot go yeah where you know like oh yeah 
like hills and mountains are places that are there, forests are like there, but the place that humans really cannot go to follow the Fae is like into the water because you will die. Yeah. Uh, and so this story is exactly the same kind of thing as like the elf stories where an elf takes a shine to you, thinks that you're beautiful or you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time on a moonlit night and they see you and they're like, oh, that person's hot. I'm taking them with me. And they enchantedly forget all about their family or whatever. And what's so interesting about this story is that the church building, the ringing of the bells, yeah. recalls her to herself. The Christian mm -hmm. church magic undoes the like fairy world magic right and makes it so that she comes out of it i mean the story is still very like tragic ending yeah of like like oh your husband when you were gone killed himself your kids orphans your own mother dead now the heroine you know passes out and dies it's like oh she didn't even get to live long enough to like learn a lesson or whatever, but she didn't really have, <laughs> she didn't really have to learn a lesson because she was like enchanted yeah, and had made this mistake. And it wasn't until coming to like the church and having Christianity fix her <laughs> that, that she was like, Oh no. So she's kind of blameless yeah. in that she was enchanted, but also it's not satisfying. Cause it's like, Oh, cause it's tragic. Because it's yeah. a tragedy. It's interesting because like looking back on it and hearing that explanation now, I can see it's like, oh yeah, like she was enchanted, especially because of like the tradition of stories that it is a part of. Yeah. Which makes sense, like his him singing to her, you know, and it's yeah. kind of like this idea just to of like of someone like wooing someone like, oh, they're enchanting them, like not as literally as we're talking about yeah. like, with magic, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're like convincing them to like be with you. Cause apparently like, she didn't, she wasn't necessarily that into him. Although had she seen him before, I don't know what's going on. He'd seen her. She probably wouldn't, you know, if he was singing to her being like, Oh, you're so hot. You're so beautiful in her head. She's like, okay. And I'm married and I have kids. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's like, mm -hmm. they must not be singing to me. I'm just going to keep looking out at the sea because obviously like I'm a married woman with children. Yeah. It's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. So that was interesting. And so it's like, you know, to, looking back, that song has like, you know, an even more magical quality than, you know, it's talking about it in the poetry as well as being like, talks about all these emotional words and it's like, oh, it's just so beautiful and emotional and poetic, but it's like, oh, but also it's like that because it is magical. And obviously like it worked because he's like, okay, like, take me to your, take me below with you. Yeah. The thing though, you like you said too, that she comes up in like Christianity, like fixes her. I'm like, I kind of don't like, does it fix her? It basically just like makes her realize how wrong she was and then kills her. Well, so it's like, I don't, I don't know if it says like explicitly, like, you know, that she repented, but at least like she died having turned her heart back to god like away from the pagan fairy magic i guess because she went up to go and pray yeah like she came and she's like i'm gonna go pray i'm why i'm she's go she went into the church yeah and, and was, like, had going that into the spinning, church yeah like oh the whole world blah, blah, blah. and so it's like even though she died she died having made it right with god uh -huh. So now she can be dead with her rightful husband and be forgiven of her um, sexual uh, merman sins. <laughs> May we all have sexual merman sins we have to repent for. <laughs> I'll pass, but <laughs> you do you. That's the ender. So it was, it was an interesting story. 
Again, because it did not go anywhere that I thought it would. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, it's like there are like just certain mermaid stories, emphasis on the mermaid, that we're more used to hearing. Yeah. And so like it is always crazy when it's like, wait, there's like tons more mermaid stories. There's tons more mermaid stories. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting that The Little Mermaid is like the one that we're very attached to. But it is because it's it's an artistic piece that was written and created by like a, a master of storytelling. Yeah. But it's nice to look at some of these other stories, especially this one that is very famous, especially in Denmark, where Hans Christian mm-hmm. Andersen is from. And there is actually in Copenhagen, where famously there is a statue of the Little Mermaid that people take pictures of, like, all the time. It's usually, like, when they go to Copenhagen, they're like, oh, I have to make sure to see this statue. to-do thing. But not very far away from that one spot, near a bridge, there is a statue of Annetta and the Merman. That's what it's... I believe that's what it is called. And it includes the merman and his sons. I think in the statue, there's seven of them because it the number of sons depends on like the version of the story. But there is this statue and it's fully submerged like underwater and they have like underwater lights. So you can even see it like at night, you can see these statues like just below the surface. Yeah. Because again, like this was a ballad from Denmark of a famous folktale that had been passed down in poem form for generations. And so this is a story that Hans Christian Andersen definitely was aware of. So Hans Christian Andersen said that there was another work of fiction that had inspired a lot of his The Little Mermaid. It's called Undine, and it is about a water spirit who marries a knight in order to gain a soul. And so this is where we see another like kind of Christian element and that that Christianity, that mer fairy folk and Christianity and getting a soul. You'll see it as it coalesces into the Little Mermaid, which is a story that I'm going to be retelling. So now I am going to be retelling A very famous story that you have all probably heard before, The Little Mermaid. So hopefully I can keep this fun and interesting. I've told Jeff this before that like one of my one of my least favorite things to record are the episodes of stories that everybody's kind of heard a million times because I want to make sure that I'm adding something to the experience to kind of make it worthwhile or else it's just me rehashing the same old story that everybody knows hopefully this is uh fun and enjoyable even if you already know the story of the little mermaid and a little spoiler alert for people who have not heard this tale before again literary fairy tale you'll remember from the snow queen episode that we did if not go back and listen to it that 
Hans Christian Andersen wrote a lot of Christianity into his stories. He wanted to be kind of like moralizing to people that he was writing to, especially his audience of children. He felt like he was writing to an adult audience and to a child audience. And so while the stories might sound like fairy tales, he wanted them to have both like mature themes in them for adults, but then also like morals for kids, which is why when people talk about like Disney changing things like the Snow Queen into what is now Frozen, which bears very little resemblance to the Snow Queen. Very little. Um, Or they talk about, oh, Disney like toned down, which I do want to argue that I don't think Disney toned it toned down the the darkness and the violence mm-hmm. in their movie a lot of people want to say like oh disney made this story like less violent or less like graphically upsetting instead usually what disney does is they take a story that has very intense christian elements in it yeah and tries to take those out And create a satisfying story. Because I think most people will agree, you know, even the people who complain like, oh, Disney changed the end of The Little Mermaid so much. Yeah, but for the better. (laughs) (laughs) So you will all be the judge of that as we're retelling the tale and you're listening to it. So it says, far out at sea. The water is as blue as the petals of the loveliest cornflower. <laughs> Just what anyone wants to hear. Yep. So that's how the story begins. And Hans Christian Andersen talks about how way out in the darkest, or he, I don't think he even says darkest, uh, but the deepest parts of the sea. And he says, It's deeper than several churches and their steeples stacked on top of each other, which I think is interesting that he's like using that immediately as like as like a tool of measurement. But also at the same time, some of the tallest buildings that were around for most people at the time were church buildings, which is why he's measuring church buildings, because it's like how in America we'll say something is like the Statue of Liberty, yeah, the Statue of Liberty or like the Empire State Building. Like that's if you stacked 12 Empire State Buildings on top of each other. Or it's like that's longer than 17 football fields, because that's how we uh-huh. measure things in America. But apparently in Copenhagen, they measure them by church Churches. steeples. <laughs> but anyway, he's talking about how there is this amazing underwater world that exists that is almost like utopian in nature. And I do think it's funny that when this story was written, scuba gear did not exist. People had not ever experienced the deepest reaches of the ocean, not even close. And they could not even imagine at that point in time, the absolute horrors of the deep. (laughs) Like when they're talking about like, oh, there's this beautiful utopia and the houses were made out of this like coral that were like trees underwater. And I'm like, coral doesn't grow 
in the darkest depths of the sea because coral needs like warmer water. That's why it's always in like tropical. That's why yeah. like coral reefs are in tropical waters is because they need a lot of light and to be like at a fairly consistent warm temperature. That's just like a thing about coral. Yeah. These people hadn't seen goblin fish, <laughs> yeah. goblin sharks. That's what lives in the deep. They didn't know An about like fish. gulper eels that have these like huge, <laughs> massive umbrella mouths. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, what are the ones? Is it goblin sharks that it looks like it's a Frankenstein's monster of a, or is that like a ghost shark? There's a type of Where it shark. Has, like, it, it looks like it has like suture marks connecting it together and i'm like oh i'm like what is that absolute terror yeah, maybe it's the same one because there's also the one it's like its mouth just like it kind of looks like its mouth is like the alien's mouth and alien where it's like it opens its mouth i mean it doesn't you don't see the outer mouth but it, like the mouth that you do see that looks like it's just like sticking out mm. from inside of another mouth or something No, i don't like how you said inner mouth and outer mouth that i hate that <laughs> Yeah, I hated me too. everything about what you just said. Oh, yeah. So they didn't they didn't know what a true horror the bottom of the ocean yeah. actually was. They were just like, it's an it's the most amazing place. Yeah. So when Hans Christian no. Andersen's just like this utopia be- of beauty existed down there, he didn't know what he was talking about. Man's a liar. He made it all up. <laughs> Which was what was kind of what that was one thing that was funny to me about the like debate about how Ariel couldn't be like a black woman because this story it cause I, there were some people who were trying to say like well because uh actually if ariel was a real mormon and she lived in like the, uh, the cold water over there and like very deep down then like her skin would be translucent and she would be and i'm like okay yeah <laughs> we get it if this was real life this doesn't make any sense but it is it's a it's a made-up story so she also would not have the top half of a human woman and the bottom half of a fish. She would just look like a goblin shark. Yeah. So what? Like, <laughs> what's the debate there? Nightmare. But anyway, so in this utopian society that Hans Christian Andersen kind of describes, it still has a hierarchical uh, monarch type uh system in place because we couldn't imagine a egalitarian no paradise a monarchy is the just <laughs> pinnacle prime pure and perfect form of government yep you heard it here first folks we we are pro monarchy we aren't i'm so oh man anyway that'll get us way off topic <laughs> but they have a king and it's so interesting to me because like they basically mention the king and like a sentence where they're like, like, and there's a king and he had six daughters, but his wife had died years ago. But luckily his mother lay, like lived with him to help take care of the kids. And I was like, really? <laughs> Unpaid labor of women. That's all I guess. <laughs> I mean, in theory, I guess she's like a dowager queen or something. What's the there's got to be a term. Because I guess his, whatever she is, yeah, he's the king. But I guess his mom couldn't rule. I'm assuming because she was married to his father, who had been the king, and so I think it is dowager queen, queen, uh, king, king's mom. Not important. But they had this woman who was kind of raising the kids, and she appears actually it's interesting because, like, from a literary standpoint, she's there as like the opposite 
of the sea witch. So mm. for a literary reason, the, these girls are not being raised by their dad, who's the king. They're being raised by their grandmother, who, jewelry-wise, she wears 12 pearls clipped to her tail, but she's the only one in the whole entire kingdom who's allowed to have that many pearls clipped to her tail. Interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry. 12 oysters. I thought it was pearls. That's weird. <laughs> well, yeah, because you can't clip a pearl on, but you can clip I mean, an oyster. I was picturing like, you know, like clip on pearl earrings, but oh, just yeah. on a tail, you know, yeah. like it would need, you couldn't just clip just a naked pearl, but you could attach it to some sort of device that would then clip on. We're going to come up with all kinds of jewelry and accessories for undersea yeah. world. We're getting way into the weeds on a lot of things that have no bearing on the story, really, which is what we like to call the fairy tellers podcast. <laughs> This is a tangent podcast. Our tangents have tangents. And I wish that were a joke. Anyway, if people want to read like the gorgeous descriptions of Hans Christian Andersen, please go and read this story. As always, anytime we're reading something that is literary and is like a classic, we are absolutely recommending you to go to that source. I remember just like Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. and So good. And there was a, a translation that had been done by J.R.R. Tolkien. And we were all like, yeah. everybody run to this. Absolutely it's run to so it. It's so good. It's so good. I love that. It is. So again, we recommend it. Absolutely do that. But I'm not going to describe the living flowers of coral that grew out of the walls, but he does. And so you should go and read this. So of the six children that this king had, the youngest was the most beautiful of all. Of course. And then he describes her skin was as clear and as fine as a rose leaf, which are green. I just want to point out. Mm. Like rose leaves are green. I And just, maybe so is she. Yeah. So there's that. And her eyes were as blue as the deepest sea, which is black. Because there's no light <laughs> that reaches it. Yeah. I was like, oh, interesting. And I love that it said, and she had no feet for her body ended in a fishtail. And it's like, yes, I understand what a mermaid <laughs> is. But you know what? Good for him. He was explaining. So... These six daughters, Hans Christian Andersen goes to tell us that one of the things that their father had each of them do was tend their own little plot in the garden. I don't know what his point as like a father was in like having them be in charge of their own kind of little plot of land, but it was... Look, responsibility teaches them responsibility, teaches them to like have ownership of something. They get to make a space their own, which is kind of like an important thing in establishing your identity. This is a, this is a pro parenting move. Yeah. Like I think he's, this is, but this shows that he's not, you know, just a hands-off parent. Like he may not be the most hands-on because his mom is doing most of the work, Yeah. but he is doing something to try to instill some, yeah. you know, values and help set them up for a successful life. That's what I think. Yeah. Good, good dad move. Or like, he's encouraging the, his daughters to work hard, get their hands dirty. And I thought it was really interesting just because of how we see the sisters in Disney's The Little Mermaid. The sisters are, the only thing we know about them is they're also pretty good at singing. 
and they're really, really vain. Those are kind of the only things that we see, <laughs> like, of them. But And we know every one of their names because they sing it at the beginning of the song. And they all start with the letter A. But one thing that is really funny about reading about the sisters in the story is that all of them love to go to shipwrecks and gather things at the shipwrecks to bring to their little plot that they're managing. And so it's not some like secret grotto of collectible trash. Right. They're like comparing them to one another. Yeah. They're like, hey, look, check what I got. And they're using it as like design elements inside their yard. And so they talk about how like the different girls would try to arrange their plot that they had differently. So while the sisters might put their stuff into like the shape of a whale and another one put hers in the shape of a little mermaid, which is like, okay, boring, vain. I don't know. (laughs) The youngest princess, she made hers to be round to look like the sun and she would get flowers and things that were, um, he uses the word flowers, but it's like, you know, like sea anemones and stuff that were red because she wanted it to look like the bright sun that she could see, like, filtering through the water. Mm. Yeah. Because she was, like, obsessed with what was up above. And this one day she did find, <laughs> I love it, uh, a statue. It said this was, she found a marble statue of a boy that had sunk down to the bottom of the sea in a shipwreck. And so Mm -hmm. it's not the prince. It was just like a human boy statue. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then dragged it back to her garden. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes on to describe like the plants and such that are inside of the garden, but we won't because moving on, A very important thing that you need to know about mermaid culture is that when mermaids turn 15, they have a quinceanera. And... (laughs) That is important to know. So when mermaids turn 15, that is when they are allowed to go up to the surface and, you know, finally go kind of exploring out on their own. Each one of the girls started, like, aging up And so these six girls, they were all born one year after another, which RIP their mother. (laughs) Like year, like year after year after year. Yeah, for like six years. I'm like, and then they're like, and then she died shortly after. I was like, yeah, was it from all (laughs) of exhaustion? Like childbirth? Jeez, like tell King Triton to get off that woman. Leave her alone. I don't know what she died of. They never specify. And by they, I mean Hans Christian Andersen doesn't specify. But anyway, so these girls, they were born one right after another. Um, Six kids in six years, it seems like. And so as the oldest daughter turned 15, she got to go up to the surface for the first time. So all of the sisters were super excited to turn 15 and go up to the surface because even though their grandma would kind of talk to them about what was up there, she was never, I guess, that curious about it. So she hadn't really explored up there that often. And so she didn't really have good enough stories. So they were all super eager. 
And it says that none was so eager as the littlest mermaid, of course. But they were all super into it. So the eldest princess, when she turned 15 years old and was allowed to go up to the surface, she promised everybody that she would tell them. She promised her sisters that she would tell them everything that she saw while she was up there. And so the first thing that she saw was a city at night. She went up during like a full moon night. And so she was just looking at the quiet sea on the sandy beach and the twinkling lights started to come on in the city near the water. So when she came back, she was telling them all about the music and the noise and the clamor of carriages and men that she had heard while she was up there. And then she made mention of the many church steeples and the ringing of the bells, which I thought was really interesting because the story we just heard from Jeff, where the woman who was in the water could hear like those bells and was like, oh, I think I was once human and like wandered off. Not to mention that this is the second time that Hans Christian Andersen has mentioned church steeples in the story, which is really interesting. It's a real reoccurring theme, Hans. (laughs) Yeah. So next year... The next sister turned 15, had her Kinsendiera, and she was allowed to rise up through the water and to swim wherever she pleased. And so she went up right as the sun was setting and she was like, oh my gosh, it was the most beautiful thing in the world because of how the light shone on the water and the different colors in the sky. Like it was so exquisite. It was so beautiful. And then- like if you hadn't seen it you lived under the water your whole life like that would be oh yeah a sight to behold yeah a sunset because you wouldn't have ever seen a sunset before yeah which is that's pretty amazing. yeah I, and it goes to like hans christian anderson's like thought process like he really got into what he was talking about like in his stories he was really imagining what like you know that would be like to be yeah. like a mer person and to have never seen the surface. Yeah, he wasn't. That, that is one thing that can be said absolutely for Hans Christian Andersen was that he did not just like you could tell that there was thought and care put into crafting these stories. It wasn't like he was making it up off the cuff as he went along. Yeah, just because of like again like recurring themes, recurring motifs, stuff like this where you can really tell like he's getting into the mind of the characters. Yeah, and being like, oh, what would that like living under the sea? What would be the things that you would see from that vantage point that would be like amazing to you? People don't say it enough, but Hans Christian Andersen really knew what he was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Might be why he was so famous. That's just my thinking on the matter, but who am I? So the following year, the next sister turned 15 and it said that she was the boldest of them all. And so the first thing that she decided to do was to swim up a broad stream that like that ran, you know, into the sea. So she was going up like a river basically yeah. because she wanted to get like in, in land, which I'm like, Whoa, girl, that is very bold to do. Oh yeah. And so when she got back, she was talking about like the lovely green hills that she saw. And she got so far that she was seeing castles and farms, uh, like peeping out from like the fine woods. Like she like went in. And so she was like, Oh, I got to see some of the birds that grandma had talked to us about, which her grandma had described them as fish. Like, Oh, there's fish that like 
swim through the air and uh, like land in the trees up there, which again, yeah, describing it as if like this lady doesn't know anything. That's What's fun. the word? Birds. <laughs> <laughs> so she was also amazed because as she was swimming up this river, she found human children inside of the river. And at first she was like, oh my gosh, children, human children that are like playing in the water. Maybe I should go over to them. And she was shocked because they were um, naked, splashing around in the water and they weren't shaped mm. right. Uh, you know, cause they didn't have tails. <laughs> yeah. They were like, where are their tails? Where are their tails? Yeah. And, but it says, she wanted to play with them, but they ran away scared, and a little black animal came. It was a dog, but she'd never seen a dog. And it barked <laughs> at her so terribly that she became frightened. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be pretty freaky if, like, because she had gotten closer than anybody, and not just seeing, like, birds, but seeing, like, people mm-hmm. in the water, like, with her instead of, yeah. you know, like... Like, on land. Yeah, or, like, on a boat or whatever. And then seeing this like dog, like a mammal that she's never seen before coming and like barking at her. That'd be quite frightening. So it says the fourth sister was not so bold. So the next year she stayed in the midst of the stormy sea, but she still thought that that was beautiful and amazing because, you know, when she went up, I mean, in a way, if I was, if I was a mermaid and I was in the water during like a storm, I wouldn't have to be afraid because like the worst thing that could happen if I'm on a boat in a storm (laughs) is I fall off the boat and I drowned. Yeah. Mermaids don't have to worry about that. Yeah, she's just like, whoa, look at the power of this storm. This is like an incredible thing to witness from like the surface because like the, she said that it looked like a dome over her. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, yeah, of like clouds, like everywhere and like the yeah. s- sea tossing around. I was like, yeah, gorgeous. Especially again, if I wasn't afraid of drowning. Because, yeah, for her, she was yeah. just like, wow, that was beautiful and amazing. Time to swim home. Like, <laughs> not <laughs> and you, terrifying. And you see like water that you live in every day, you know, all day that surrounds you. But it's like falling from the sky. Like, that oh, would be so trippy. Oh, I hadn't trippy. even thought about that. Yeah, that would be trippy to see like, <laughs> like water like fresh water like raining down from like above from like the clouds that would be insane it's like where is this coming from yeah but like it doesn't it doesn't make sense that it would be coming from there to down it's like it should be coming from where there's a lot of it to where there's not a lot yeah like that's how things generally flow from high concentrations to the lower concentrations. yeah and for it to be like there's so much air in between the droplets of water and man i love the it's like a reverse bubble yeah yeah, water droplets are a reverse bubble. They're bubbles <laughs> of water. They're like blobs of water. I love that we're really getting into now we're in the mindset of like, oh yeah, what would that be like to experience that from like their point of view of like never seeing that before? That would be incredible. Yeah, I told you we shouldn't have dropped acid before we started <laughs> recording this episode. For real. Just kidding. I, I, I probably a weed reference would have been more apt, but. But still. Or rather, we should have done even more drugs. It's so beautiful. (laughs) So she also talked about getting to see like dolphins and like the dolphins jumping somersaults like into the air and like seeing the whales as they're spouting out water from their nostrils. 
which mm. just looked like fountains, which again, yeah, of course she had never seen that because yeah. she had seen whales and she had seen dolphins, but she hadn't seen what they were like interacting yeah, with the, like the, the air or whatever. And so even though she was too scared to go anywhere close to a person, she still was bringing back these amazing stories saying, oh, the surface is incredible to the little sister. Oh, you're going to love it. When you get to go up, you're absolutely going to love it. So then the fifth sister, her birthday was in the winter time. It said she saw what others had not seen when they went up. The sea looked quite green and large icebergs floated all around. Everyone looked like a pearl, she said, and they were much larger than the church steeples built by men <laughs> again like reference to the church steeples and this this is giving the same sort of like vibe as the flowers in the snow queen yeah which we didn't actually talk about in the we talked about that in a bonus episode but there was this whole and we did we talked about it, but we didn't go in depth yeah. into the stories but it was like this whole thing where you know these different flowers had their whole story to tell about like, I don't know, like basically kind of how they came to be or whatever. They had a whole story to tell that had nothing to do with the larger narrative. And this is like the same thing. It's like, it doesn't really have much yeah. to do with the main story we're getting to, but it is like, it's kind of like world building number one. And then just exploring really interesting ideas of like, well, what would different, you know, mer people be interested in? Yeah. Like some want to see people, some don't, but what would they then go see? That's like more safe to them yeah. or whatever. One thing that I love about Hans Christian Andersen, even though like his stories can be so melancholy Mm -hmm. And he would get criticized for that about just like how, like how much of a bummer some of his stories were. And it's true. Like they absolutely yeah. were a bummer, but he describes beauty in the mundane. He can see and describe beautiful things so intricately and so well, because it is like, you know, him talking about a, like a storm and how, you know, seeing that was beautiful or seeing a sunset for the first time was like gorgeous. So even though his stories and this one included are some of his like bigger, bi biggest bummers of a tale, he still includes all of these dis exquisite descriptions of like beautiful things. Yeah. But it is like what you're saying of like, this isn't important to the full plot of things. And it isn't. And I want people to know that the first 20 minutes of this story has been very much for nothing. <laughs> so this sister who went up in the wintertime, she climbed like up onto one of these icebergs. Let me make sure. Yeah. So she seated herself on one of the largest icebergs. And then she just watched sailing ships as they went really far around the icebergs. Except one. So she wasn't watching the RMS Titanic. <laughs> Thank you for making that joke, because I was about to make it. <laughs> True story. This story came out almost 100 years before um, the Titanic sunk. Because mm. this story came out in like 1832, I want to say. And it wasn't until like... 1911 or yeah, 12. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, that the Titanic happened. But anyway, so she was just sitting, watching boats going around all of these icebergs that she got to enjoy sitting on. So... Each of those five sisters, you know, got to go up to the surface and they felt really bad because they could go up whenever they wanted to. It wasn't just a, like a one-off thing. They could just go whenever they wanted. But every time they went, they would have to leave behind their youngest sister. 
And they mm. felt really bad. And they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't go because we're leaving you behind. And that's so sad for you that you don't get to come with us. Yeah, when it gets to be just one that's left behind. Like if there's like a couple of friends, like, oh, they can like hang out with each other. It's like, we're all going and you're getting left behind. It's like, that's kind of, it's kind of Yeah, sad. that's the pain of like being the youngest child. And then also some of, sometimes the fun of being the youngest child is because half the time parents are like, Never mind. Just go with your siblings. <laughs> yeah, you're all going anyway. Just go. It's fine. It's like, what? How come we all had to wait? And then now the youngest one just gets to do whatever they want. Unfair. unfair. The whole world. So terribly unfair. But the littlest mermaid would tell them, no, go without me. Like, I want to hear these stories. So please, please, please go up without me. And so there were very many evenings when the five sisters would link arms with each other and rise up in a row to the surface of the water. And it says they had lovely voices, more charming than any mortal could have. And anytime a storm was approaching and they thought that the ships might go down, they would swim in front of the ships and sing lovely songs about how beautiful it was at the bottom of the sea. And they were telling the the sailors not to be afraid of the storm because they could come and join them at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Just come and drown yourselves. It's all good, boys. Yeah, like, just do it. Um, It says, but the soldiers couldn't understand the words, and they thought it was the storm. And and it also says, they did not see the beauty below, for if the ship sank, they were drowned and came only as corpses to the Sea King's palace. Which I am like, the imagery of that, I immediately, because it's like the beauty that Hans Christian Andersen Uh describes. And then he's also like, Oh, but anytime these guys showed up at the palace, it was as like bloated dead corpses uh-huh. floating through, probably have like fish like nibbling on them as they like went past. And I'm sure that the mermaids who were watching that weren't like so majestic. <laughs> <laughs> Look how beautiful humans are. That's gorgeous. But it's like, it is that contrast between like, beauty and then like macabre that makes like those things all the more disturbing but also it makes like the beautiful things that much more beautiful because you feel you feel that space and that vast gap between those two sides and you're like yeah these feel very different so it like you know allows you to feel them more fully that's my theory on it that is true but also in that moment i love what hans christian anderson is describing because we had just said like for the tale that i retold that storms and mermaids and like their singing were related to each other. They would say, Oh, if you see mermaids, it means a storm is coming, get to shore, turn back mm-hmm. around. And it's really interesting to, to see how Hans Christian Anderson has kind of taken that local, like colloquial belief, that folk belief and turned it into like, Oh yeah. Because when there's a storm coming, the mermaids rise up and they're like, oh, there's a storm coming. You're going to get dumped into the ocean with us. And it's not a it's not a threat. <laughs> yeah. It's more of a like, oh, we're singing, but we're singing in a language that you really can't understand about how it's so beautiful down here. Down where it's wetter. That's where it's <laughs> up on the shore. You work all day. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, they're singing how wonderful it is under the sea. But what sailors here is there is a storm coming. We need to turn around or else we are going to be bloated corpses floating past the sea King's palace, (laughs) which again, seriously like that. Can you even imagine, you know, looking out your window 
um, the morning after like a storm and there's just like a bloated corpse floating past your house. And like flotsam and jetsam, just flotsam, not the eels, but like literal just basically garbage that's like sinking to the bottom, like raining down like, you know, barrels and like dingle hoppers and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) snorf blats. And also it kind of it kind of changes the perspective on like when the daughters would go to get stuff for their gardens where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, let's go to a shipwreck and like get stuff for our gardens. And there's just like dead bodies floating everywhere and they're like pushing past them so that they could get to like the decorative items to put in their uh-huh. <laughs> garden. Yipes. As much as we're like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's like, oh, also a full nightmare. So. Yep. Moving on in the story. (laughs) So finally, the littlest princess turned 15 years old and she was allowed to go up to the surface. And her grandmother took her and was like, hello. She was like, now you're off our hands. Like exactly what like every kid wants to hear. Like, oh, you've reached the age of adulthood. Get out of my house. I'm not in charge of Mm. you. Anyway, but she didn't quite mean it like that. But she was like, okay, come here and let me dress you like I did your sisters. And she put a wreath of white lilies in the girl's hair. But each petal in the flower was half a pearl. Seriously, Hans Christian Andersen and the details. Like, he's just like, let me describe something just so beautiful for you. And the old lady let eight. So the old woman, again, she, the grandma, she had 12 on her um fin 12 oysters like Mm -hmm. on her fin but she put eight onto the princess's tail to kind of show what a high-ranking you know mermaid she is now that she's an adult and the little mermaid was like oh that hurts so much why would you like why are you putting those like on my tail that hurts so much and her grandma was like well you can't have both style and comfort which it sounds like a throwaway line (laughs) at first Uh in the story but again, the grandmother is kind of like the opposite of the, not in, even the, the opposite of the sea witch, but yeah, she's bent to be, you know, kind of compared to the sea witch. And so this idea of like beauty pinches, that's what I was told when I was like a little girl, was mm-hmm. that like, oh, to be a woman, to be pretty, it hurts. Like you're going to have to like wax your eyebrows and yeah, it hurts, but who cares? You're going to have to brush the tangles out of your hair. It hurts, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you'll be beautiful. Like whatever you have to Mm -hmm. like scrape, burn, pull, pull off of your body to be beautiful. Like it's worth it to be beautiful. And that is the lesson that her grandmother is also trying to teach her is that to have the body you want sometimes it's worth the pain, Mm. which is like, is that really the lesson that you want to teach? The grandmother did not realize the lengths to which he was teaching that lesson (laughs) is basically it. So it's interesting because it's like this like throwaway line of just like, oh, well, you can't have both style and comfort. And then they move on. But it is like, oh, that is (laughs) that's going to need therapy later. (laughs) So after her grandma had got her all dressed up, she said goodbye and she rose up to the surface for the first time. And the sun had just set when she lifted her head above the sea and she looked at all of the clouds shining rose and gold in the sky. 
And that's, that's the thing about being the youngest, the last one to go up is you kind of can hear their stories and their experiences and kind of like do what they did of being like, oh, okay, like I'm going to go up around sunset and that way I get to see like a beautiful sunset and see what happens from there. So mm-hmm. as she went up, there was a big ship with three masts and she could hear like music and singing coming from the boat. And she could see all of these colored lanterns and lights and flags that were flying on the ship. And she obviously like, she wanted this so bad, like to be able to go up to the surface that, you know, she wasn't afraid. She wanted to go immediately over to the boat while the other sisters might've been happy just watching them pass at a distance. She was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, this is it. Like I'm going to go. And there was this big party that was happening on the boat and the little mermaid, she swam over and then let the swell of the sea lift her up until she could kind of grab onto one of the cabin windows so that she could like peek in at uh, what was going on inside. And there were people just like all dressed in their best, all these humans dressed in their best. And it said, but the handsomest of all was the young prince with the great black eyes. And it said he couldn't be much more than 16 years old. It was his birthday. And therefore they were having this fine party. And it's important to note that it was his birthday and it was her birthday. Yeah. They had the same birthday. It was destined because that kind of links people um in some especially when they said like he he couldn't be much more than 16 years old so like they theoretically could be around that he could it could have been his 15th birthday his 16th birthday and she had just been 15 so it kind of is like if you're born on the same day this like idea of like twin flames of like you were meant to encounter each other and like be near each other So there's kind of that percolating in the air. But anyway, so he was having this big party. And again, there's not a giant statue of him like on the uh, the Disney movie. She already (laughs) has her statue like it's already in her garden. It's some just random statue of a boy. But she was looking at this young prince with his great black eyes. I love that that was the detail of description like that Hans Christian Andersen included was just like these deeply black eyes Mm -hmm. just because i mean we talk about like beauty standards and like what what is being described as beautiful and she has blue eyes in the story and he has black eyes so it's just interesting because it's like they're opposites from each other but they and yeah they're they're opposites of each other in a lot of ways but born on the same day anyway so for the party the sailors were dancing on the deck so she's just like you know, watching them like dance around using their legs <laughs> and also they started like setting off like fireworks and rockets so she's sitting and she's just watching these fireworks like bursting in the air above the water and the reflection on the water and it's just incredible and she just sat and watched or swam and watched. She was around watching <laughs> um, as it grew later and later. And she just could not take her eyes from the beautiful prince. But after a while, you know, the ship, she didn't notice that the ship was moving faster and faster and that one sail after another was spreading out from the amount of wind. And then 
the waves started rising up higher and higher and bigger and bigger clouds came up and she looked up in time to see that, you know, lightning was in the air and like the storm had just like kind of come out of nowhere and she hadn't been paying attention. And the sailors quickly stopped what they were doing so they could rush to stop the ship from basically like being torn apart from itself. We talk in another bonus episode, we have the um, idioms for idiots. And we talk about kind of like the danger of in a storm when your, your sail can become a hazard after a while, because if it's catching too much wind, way more wind than the mast can take, Mm -hmm. it can snap the mast and basically just rip the ship apart from like the inside out. And the main mast snapped into like a thin reed and the ship flipped over onto her side and water started rushing in the hold. So the little mermaid, which I'm like, again, this is her first time like going up to the surface. (laughs) And at first it was like all going so well and it was like all marvelous. And then it was like, And now all of the human beings that she's been watching being like, aren't they amazing? This is so nifty cool. I love this. Look how beautiful this man is. All of them are getting dumped into the ocean and chunks of boat that are like falling apart are like catching on these people and like dragging them to the bottom of the sea. And she's also trying to like dodge the falling debris because she's like in the middle of it too. Because like, even though she's a mermaid, if you get hit by some mast falling on your head, it doesn't matter if you can (laughs) swim in the water. Like, yeah, like (laughs) your skull's cracked. Yeah. So she's like trying to avoid all of those stuff that's coming off of the ship. And as she's like doing her best to avoid all of this stuff, she sees the prince sinking already into the deep sea. And it says at first she was really glad because she was like, Oh, he can come down with me. Now that he's in the water, he could come with me like to my (laughs) place. Um, And it says, but then she remembered that people could not live in the water. And that when he got And that when he got down to her father's palace, he would certainly be dead. It's like, yeah, that is the predicament. It's like, oh, you can come into my house. No, he cannot. He cannot come to your house. That's the exact opposite of what he should be doing is coming to your house. So she dove down into the water to retrieve him and pull him up. And then she was just like swimming the whole night in that stormy sea, pulling him. It says his arms and legs began to fail him as his beautiful eyes closed and he would have died if the little mermaid hadn't come. So she carried him all the way back to land. And by the morning, she reached the shore and there wasn't a stick of the ship left. So I'm like, what's horrible is basically everybody who was on that boat with him died all of those people that were celebrating his birthday were dead which that's such a bummer which i don't think about in i'll have to rewatch uh the little mermaid because i don't know if the whole boat falls apart because there are people on that boat who are there later on in the story so i'm like oh man i'm gonna have to like Mm rewatch that because like if the boat got destroyed how did they find their way back Maybe he just got whacked off the side of the boat or something in the movie. I don't know. People who've watched the movie, let me know. <laughs> let us know in the comments. I don't remember either. 
So she had got him back to the shore and his eyes remained closed and she kissed his high fair forehead and pulled back his wet hair and he seemed to her to be like the marble statue in her little garden. She kissed him again and hoped that he might live. So I do want to point out that as she is doing that, like, so she's pulled him to shore. His eyes are not open. He doesn't appear conscious. He doesn't appear to be breathing. She's kissing his forehead and pulling the hair back from like his face. That's not helpful. Like (laughs) he's, he's more or less drowned. Like she is not giving him CPR. She hasn't done anything. He doesn't appear to be alive. And I do think that Mm -hmm. that is important to point out for the events that happen later in the story is that, did she save his life by dragging him to shore? Yeah. He de- 100% would have died if she had let him just sink. But she didn't bring him all the way back. Because in that moment, some church bells started ringing. And she looked up and it said she could not mm. tell whether it was a church or a convent. Which I'm like, of course she couldn't. She was a mermaid. That <laughs> I don't think I could tell. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I could This was her first time. She'd had churches described her before and like church bells and stuff. But yeah, there's no possible way that she would have been able to tell. So when these church bells started ringing, she basically just kind of like bolted because she situated the prince so that his head was resting in the warm sunshine. And then she dove back into the water because as those bells were ringing, a bunch of humans, young girls, came like flooding out of the building and down to the shore. And the Little Mermaid had to swim away so that she wasn't seen. And so it says she put some sea foam on her hair and her neck so that nobody could see her face sticking up out of the water, which I'm like, it's pretty funny to like imagine her like sitting there like that because she wanted to see you know, what unfolded. And pretty soon, like one of the young girls that had come out of the house saw that there was like a person on the sand and at first was like scared, but then she started shouting for like other people to come down to go get help. And this girl like ran over to the prince and it said the sea maid saw that the prince came back to life and that he smiled at everybody around him. So whatever that girl had done on the beach is what helped him. I don't know whether this woman hmm. got down and gave him CPR or kicked him in the head. I don't like, I don't know like what <laughs> happened, but yeah. she, the little mermaid basically got his body to the shore. But then this young woman from the convent was the one that came down, found him, screamed for help, revived him, did you know what needed to be done to get him the actual help that he needed. Not the, I'm not saying that it was incompetent help, but it wasn't 100% useful. She she did the best that she could with what she had. Yeah, she did. And then she wasted some time like kissing his lifeless stone marble face. <laughs> it reminds me of that story that we read about like there's the I can't remember what their name like dive well breathe well yes. and yep. whatever. Cause like, which one's the most important to be able to do to like be able to dive deep down into the water. Like that was her skill. She could swim really well and she brought I that. I wasn't but expecting it. The African dilemma tales episode to come up right now, but, but I yes, wasn't either. Absolutely. I'm surprised I even remember, but the African dilemma tales was one of those that really sticks in your memory. Cause it's just so yeah. good. But yeah, it's like, 
you know, in that situation, I think, you know, Breathe Well was one of the ones, well, that was part of yeah. the argument. It's like, if I hadn't d- dived down in there, we wouldn't have been able to bring her up. It's like, well, if I hadn't been able to do CPR with my awesome breathing abilities, then she would not have come back to life. Or, you yeah. know what I mean? It's kind of like, you needed a little bit of each of those. Yeah. So it's like, they both did something yeah. that the other one couldn't have done. Like, if the one girl saw him, like, flopping out there and like oh, and drowning like she would not have been able to swim out there grab him and like drag him to shore yeah. you know so not to mention like when it had happened the night before you know that girl wasn't even anywhere there and yeah. so this is a lesson to everybody that like even if you can't do everything you should definitely do something that's a really nice and easy to remember little sound that bite. was it came accidentally out of my mouth like most things <laughs> So after the Little Mermaid saw that the prince had, like, come back to life, I'm like, it's so sad because it said, but he didn't smile in her direction. He couldn't know, of course, that she had saved him. And it's like, yeah, that is, like, true. And she watched as he was, like, helped back up to whether, you know, the church building or the convent. And she dived mournfully under the water to return to her father's palace. And I'm like, can you imagine? That was, she had waited for years to get the chance to go up to the surface for the first time and experience what it was like up there. And to have this be the thing that happened. Yeah, like just a traumatic. Yeah, because it's like the. Like tragic experience. The worst thing that happened to like as one of her sisters was that they got barked at by a dog. Uh-huh. And she basically saw everybody that she had watched have a party on a boat die. And then dragged this man, the only person that she could save. Was it the only person she could save or the only one she yeah, wanted I was about to, to say save? <laughs> it was like the one that she was focused yeah. on. But yeah, like drag this guy back and he will not even know that she like did all that to save him. It's like so sad. And so it said she had always been gentle and thoughtful. She had always been gentle and thoughtful, but now she became much more so. My take on that is, you know, with like this as like a translation is when they say like gentle and thoughtful, it was more like melancholy and serious than anything else. Cause it says that, you know, her sisters of course were excited for her to come back so that they could say to her, like, how was it? How was your first time going up to the surface? Was it everything you had hoped it would be? Like, was it incredible? <laughs> tell us everything about your first like time up there. It must've been great. And she wouldn't tell them anything, which is like, Oh man. I mean, there's something to be said for like, you know, doing some quiet processing and like waiting until you're ready to talk about it. But also it helps to talk about it with uh, people that are trusted loved ones. So if if right now you're suffering in silence after having saved a prince from the water, you know, be encouraged to uh, talk to your friends. So she became just really melancholy after this very traumatic experience that she had had but she would still go back to the place where she had left the prince which was like outside of this convent it wasn't you know his castle or anything like that like she didn't really know where he like lived lived because she they had been out in the open ocean And the boat had been being dragged all over the place before it got, like, 
torn apart. And then she just drove or she just swam back to shore. So she had only known where she had dropped him off. And she watched as the fruits in the garden ripened and were gathered and snow came and, you know, the seasons, they were changing. And she never saw the prince because he didn't live there. Like that wasn't his home. (laughs) So her only comfort was to sit in her own garden and wrap her arms around the beautiful marble statue that she thought looked like her prince. Which, side note, Jeff, okay, I'm a little disturbed by... Like, when his cold in the ocean all night body was laying on the beach, like, lifeless, and she was like, oh my gosh, he's, like, beautiful, like this, like, marble statue that I have of, like, a human. Uh-huh. It's just, like, it smacks of Dahmer. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying. It is a little creepy. Yeah. Where I'm like, that's, ma'am, that's, like, super, that's so disturbing. Um, this girl ain't right. So she would just hold on to this statue of the prince and she was neglecting her flowers and the other parts of her garden and just wasn't taking care of anything because all she could think about was like the prince. And so finally she did what I had been saying earlier, which was going to one of her sisters and telling them like everything that happened, which again, I highly recommend that you reach out and talk to your friends. Like, Talk to trusted loved ones if you've experienced something traumatic. Anyway, so she finally went to one of her sisters and a couple of the others who were told about this as well. And one of these mermaids knew who the prince was because she had also apparently like in the past seen some festivities that had happened on this boat, recognized the flags where the boat was from and was like, oh, I know exactly like where this guy's kingdom is. I can take you to it. They all linked arms together and took her to the palace where the prince lived. And it was built right on the edge of the sea. In fact, there was a great marble staircase that wound down the castle and ended right on the sea, which I'm like, wow, this guy's really into the ocean. And I love that it's like through the clear glass and the tall windows, one looked into the most gorgeous halls where costly silk curtains and tapestry were hung. And of course, rich, rich, rich detail from Hans Christian Andersen of like all the beauty and extravagance like of it all. That's, that's, his forte. That's where he lives. That's where he excels. So now that she knew where he lived, she all the time would come and get as close to land as she possibly could so that she could stare at him, which I don't, I don't know how healthy that was where it was like, Oh yeah, I know where the prince is. Like, let, we'll take you to him. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't yeah. the type of therapy that she needed. Like, I don't think. No, but it makes sense. It's like the type of thing that, uh, an older sister who is also like a teenager or barely not a teenager anymore might do. Yeah. They're like, Oh, you're obsessed over this guy, but you're afraid you're never going to see him again. I'll help you find him. Like, it's totally fine. Like come with me. And it's like, Oh no. See your sister is stalker level obsessed and helping her with that obsession is actually not the healthiest like route to take for her or for this prince. 
So aside from like watching him, she was also listening into different like conversations that other people were having, including like some of the guards who apparently were always saying really good things about the prince. Apparently he was just this really kind guy that was just really hardworking, just stand up guy. Great. And they had even talked about, you know, the night that he was almost lost, but was miraculously saved from, from the waves. And so becoming obsessed with this prince, but also the wider world of like his kingdom, his, uh, like all the land, the sky, everything. She was becoming like more and more attached to this like upper world. And so she went to her grandmother who she thought would know, you know, the most about the upper world and how it all worked and stuff. And the little mermaid asked her grandmother, so human beings, if they don't drown in the sea, do they just live forever? Like as long, like they, I understand they die when they yeah. get into the ocean, but like, do they die like ever be, uh, from anything else. And the old lady was like, oh yeah, no, actually, you know how we can live to be 300 years old. And which I was like, I didn't know that. So I'm glad that she said something about it. Cause I didn't know. Yeah. Same. So the grandmother was like, okay, so obviously, you know, mermaids, we live to be 300 years old. And it's funny because the way that they, they say it, it's like you turn 300 years old and like, you know, immediately poof, poof, you turn into sea foam. Like you just die like, Oh, 300 you're done. That was all you get. But the grandmother's like, but the humans, they only live at most to be like a hundred years old. Like their lifespan is much shorter than ours. And the little mermaid was like, Oh my gosh, that's horrible and the grandmother's like yeah but i mean and here's where we get into some christian stuff y'all no you were waiting for it yeah i know everybody was like waiting like where's the christian stuff we've heard a bunch of church bells and like steeples so here comes the christian stuff y'all the grandmother was like so yes they live a very very short time but you see they have immortal souls that are able to live on forever, even after their body has turned and to earth and decayed. But us mermaids, we live for 300 years, no souls. And just when we die, we die, we're gone. And so what we need to do every day is make sure that we just enjoy this life, live it to the fullest, which listen, Hans, I know that you wanted to like kind of like put in this like Christian element and stuff. But what I heard from the story was like, you know what? If there is no heaven, then like, let's live it up now while we still can. Just enjoy every single pleasure while you're here on this earth. So depending on how you believe, there's a message for everybody in here. (laughs) So the Little Mermaid was like, oh, no, why can't we get an immortal soul? (laughs) And she's like, I would gladly give all the hundreds of years I have to live to be a human being only for one day so that I can later come to the world of heaven. So at this point, she's not even talking about like, oh, I would love to be a human being so that I can like hook up with this prince dude. I want to have an immortal soul. These souls sound really good. I would love to be a human for a day so I can have this immortal soul. And the 
old lady was like, well, we're much happier, much better off than the people up there, which again, hilarious because it sounds exactly <laughs> like, you know, when that crab was, what is his name? When Sebastian was like explaining to like Ariel, why like, Oh, we don't, well, you don't want to go up there. We're much happier down here. But the little mermaid was like, but if I die and float as foam on the sea, I wouldn't be able to hear the music of the waves anymore. Or see the pretty flowers. How can I get an immortal soul so that I don't have to like give up those things? Which again, I'm like, oh, this story, existential crisis much. And the grandmother was like, oh, no, the only way that you can possibly get an immortal soul is if a man up in the human world falls in love with you so much so that he gets married to you. I mean, like he goes in to be like, like he should cling to you with his every thought and with all his love and let the priest lay his right hand in yours with a promise of faithfulness here and in all eternity. <laughs> then his soul would float into your body and you would receive a share of the happiness of humankind. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That grandmother, she talks kind of funny. <laughs> I just like imagine like that dialogue doesn't sound very natural, but it's like totally fine. So anyway, yeah, the only way for her to get a immortal soul is if a human man fell in love with her. But then her grandmother was like, but that'll never happen because you have a fishtail and that's nasty AF. Humans hate that. Like <laughs> any human man would look at the way your body is right now and be like, dang, she's gross. I would never tap that. So you're never going to have an immortal soul because you don't have legs. And, of course, the Little Mermaid sighed and looked sadly at her fishtail that was so disgusting that it was stopping her from having an immortal soul. <laughs> Which, yeah, again, it's like, Grandma, do you remember when you told her that, like, if you want to get what you want to get, then you have to go through some pain and, like, but it's worth it? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you're ugly. Well, she's going to go through a whole bunch of pain to make sure that she's beautiful. So that's on you, Grandma. Don't tell people beauty pinches. Terrible, toxic thing to say. But then, yeah, no, I love that the old lady's like, but let's be happy and jump and skip the 300 years that we have. And which I'm like, jump and skip, ma'am, you live in the sea. <laughs> you forget where you are. Yeah, settle down. Afterwards, we can rest all the merrier in our graves. Which, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> Which I'm down for. Like, let's do it. Anyway, so obviously, this little mermaid was very, very upset by the things her grandmother had just said. She was hearing some, like, horns and trumpeting and stuff coming from the upper world. And she was recalled to, you know, the land above. And she's like, they must be having a party right now, which again, I think is interesting because in your story, we heard about like them being like in the water, hearing sounds and being like, oh, I've got to get back to where like those sounds are. So she's in the pit of despair, just feeling sorry for herself. But then she remembers about the sea witch. So she decided while well, everybody was distracted, she was going to head over to see the Sea Witch. And even though she had always been cautioned against going to the Sea Witch, that she needed to be deeply, deeply afraid of this woman, she headed over. And it's so interesting because the Sea Witch is like basically every single like trope of a land witch where, you know, their <laughs> home is out in like the borders of what is mermaid civilization. She's like living out on the fringe and the edge described as like very, very ugly. And there's like bones, 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 so many bones, which is like 
very Baba Yaga, like of this story, very like, oh, witch in the black forest kind of feel to it. So she is swimming out there and man, it just like describes like just these like polyps. They're like half animal, half plant. Like it says they looked like hundred headed snakes growing out of the earth. And they were all like reaching their like fingered bodies out towards the little mermaid as she was swimming closer to like the house. And like this whole part, I'm like, it's so gross. Like the way that they are describing everything is just like nasty. Well, it's sounding kind of like, you know, in the Disney movie, those like really creepy little creatures who's like, or the souls of the people that she had like tricked before or whatever, which yeah. were as a child, very creepy and pretty terrifying. They were. Cause it's like, you're imagining like swimming through that water and having those like creepy, like, like polypy things, like grabbing and reaching and like slimy and mm-hmm. disgusting. No bueno. Disgusting. Um, and so it said like the little mermaid, she was trying to like, you know, had her, had her, uh, arms, as tight like to her chest as she could like so that she had nothing to grab she was trying to get her hair to like be all in one place so they didn't grab her by her hair and as she was like swimming through she was seeing like some of those bloated corpses of the dead that we had talked about earlier basically had been like grabbed and were being slowly like eaten away by these polypy things. But then it said more terrifying than anything else. She saw that they had a dead mermaid also like in their grasps, which yeah, it's like, of course, if she saw like dead bodies, she's like, Oh yeah, I see dead human bodies all the time. No biggie. (laughs) (laughs) Like who cares? We all need a snack sometimes. Like, no worries. But when she saw like the like decaying corpse skeleton of a like mermaid getting munched on, she was like, oh, my gosh. And the only thing that gave her strength was remembering the prince and her goal for an immortal soul. And that's what it always goes back to is this like the prince and the human soul. Like, she doesn't just want the prince. Never in the story is it like, oh, she just wants the prince. Once she finds out about the soul business. She's like, like all about it. Yeah. She's like, oh, I need the prince so I can get this soul. I need this soul. The soul is the important thing. I don't want to just, like, die and stop existing. That's terrifying. Like, this story is about existential dread. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it gave her strength. To, you know, remember what what her quest was. And she, like, quickly tried to, like, swim past these, like, creepy polyps. So then we meet the sea witch. And I absolutely love, I absolutely love the description. So it says, now she came to a big slimy place in the wood where fat water snakes rolled around. There sat the sea witch feeding a toad out of her mouth just as a person might feed a little canary bird with sugar. (laughs) I'm like, who is doing that? Don't do that. I was unaware that that was something that people did, but. Yeah. Hans Christian Andersen's, you know, like, he's like, you know how people are with like canary birds where they'll put some like sugar in their mouth and then like have like a little bird come and eat it out. I'm like, (laughs) no, Hans, I don't know what people you're hanging out with. It does sound kind of adorable, though. Yeah, a lot more adorable than, like, a frog (laughs) in your mouth. 
Because it's like feeding the toad out of her mouth. Oh my gosh. Like what did she have in her mouth that she was like, was she holding like like worms or grubs or something in her <laughs> mouth? And the frog's like eating them out. I hate that. Yeah. I absolutely hate that. Um, but don't worry, it gets worse. And it said, the horrid fat water snakes, she called her little chickens and let them roll around on her large swampy breasts. Mm. No. <laughs> gosh i am just like so she's got that toad in her mouth and like the snakes are it's as rolling around on her large swampy breast just like the body horror of that image is just like oh my gosh so anyway the sea witch was like i know what you want i know what you came here for and it's stupid and it's dumb but there's no possible way i'll be able to convince you that you don't want this and so yeah you want to get rid of your fishtail and have gross little legs so you can be up on Earth so that you can get that prince to fall in love with you and you can get an immortal soul. Yeah. And, you wow. know, the little mermaid just like stared at her, you know, terrified and said with that, the witch laughed loudly and disagreeably. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and she laughed so hard that the toad and water snakes tumbled down to the ground where they crawled about. Um, so, yeah, they just like fell off of her massive uh, swamp tits and <laughs> <laughs> were rolling around. It's just on the ground. She was laughing so hard. Which, this is one of those things. I don't know if people have uh, read Beowulf, but I guess there's like a whole debate about how much of like the battle with what is it? Grendel's mother happens mm -hmm. like underwater or if there's like air to be breathed and this woman's in like a cave or something, there's like that whole thing. And this is very similar to that where the description of the sea, witch it sounds like she's in like a swamp or like a peat bog or something, but also it seems to be taking place all underwater. Yeah. So, so when it's like, the toad and the snake like fall off of her breast, like a tumble onto the ground. Like that's not really how water works. Yeah. And so it's one of those situations where it's like, is this happening underwater? Is like it not, but that's neither here nor there for the whole discussion. Things not here nor there, but because we are an animal husbandry podcast, one to bring up too. <laughs> like, I mean, this isn't really animal husbandry, but just like toad is, if it is underwater, the wrong translation at the very least yeah. Because toads are, like, frogs are amphibious, toads are not. Mm, which makes me think even more that she might not be underwater. The sea witch on land. <laughs> she's, a, she's just a regular land witch. It turns out she's just a swamp witch with some swampy tits. <laughs> she just happens to live by the sea, which is why she gets her name. Indeed. So the witch, realizing that this girl, you know, isn't going to see sense anyway, which again, yeah, sometimes when you're dealing with teenagers, you just know, like, I'm not going to be able to talk you out of this. I'm not going to be able to convince you otherwise. So we might as well just pick your battles. Yeah. Look, your your goal is to take her soul anyway. Like, yeah. Who cares if her idea is dumb? Like, just go with it. And she, yeah. she fell right into your hands. Yeah. Like it. Like, who cares? Doesn't even matter. So. The witch was like, you actually came just in time because tomorrow at like the sunrise would have been like the last day that I could have helped you um, for another year. So this is actually perfect divine timing, if you will. <laughs> and I will. She's like, tomorrow I'm going. 
she was like, I'm going to give you this drink for you to drink and you need to like swim up to land. And then tomorrow before the sun rises, you need to sit yourself on land and drink this. And your tail is going to split apart in two and become legs. And you are going to have some beautiful, gorgeous legs. You will be one of the loveliest daughters of man that anybody has ever seen. But it is going to feel like you have been sliced open with a sharp Ugh. sword. And every time you walk, even though you will be so graceful when you walk and you'll look like a dancer, every step you take is going to feel like you're walking on knives. You're going to feel as if every step is slicing you open and blood should be like pouring out of your flesh. It's so bad. But... If you want to bear all of this, if, if, if even with that you want to do it, I can help you. And the Little Mermaid, again, thinking of the prince and the immortal soul, was like, yes, I do want that. That all sounds worth it to me. And the witch said, okay, so remember, when you have this human form, you can't ever be a mermaid again. Like, that's it. You have turned into a human being. And to get that immortal soul that you want, like this, this drink, it's just to turn you into a human. It doesn't give you the immortal soul. You still have to win this guy over yourself. And if he like gets married to somebody else, the next morning after he marries somebody else, like when the sun rises, you will die. You will be dead. It's because if he consummates the marriage at the marriage night, then that that's what... The magic is him him boning his wife. Just, you know, between you and I. <laughs> just so that you know. Um, and probably all of our listeners. who <laughs> I just whispered that into the mic. So you need to be responsible for getting him to fall in love with you so that you can receive that immortal soul. And the little mermaid was like, I can do that. And then the witch was like, okay, now payment. Because I, I, need, I need something from you. She's like, it's not a little thing that I'm going to ask of you. Like, it is not like a simple thing. You have the finest voice. You have the most beautiful voice of anybody at the bottom of the sea. You sing with your sisters all the time. And you might have thought that with your beautiful singing voice, you'd be able to enchant him like easily. But you have to give that voice to me. The best thing you own is what I will have for the potion that I'm making you, which I thought that was really interesting. That's like the best thing that you own and it's not an item. It's like the greatest treasure to her, which again, like this kind of goes back to kind of like old school magic and like beliefs in magic, which is basically like, if you want a powerful spell, you have to pay a powerful price. It's not just a like, Oh, the sea witch is like evil. And that's why she's doing this. Yeah. It's, it's that, like, that's how magic works. If you want a powerful magic, then you have to pay a powerful price. Oh, and she points out, I do want to say, the sea witch points out that to make the potion, she has to draw her own blood. Like, the witch has to draw her own blood to make it. Oh, and so she was like, so if I have to bleed, you have to bleed, which I'm like, yipes. <laughs> And I love that the Little Mermaid was like, but if you take away my voice, what will I have? And the witch replies, You'll have your looks. You'll have your looks. Your pretty face. 
and never underestimate the importance of body language. <laughs> so uncomfortable, that part. Oh, man. What's funny to me is that it was very much like Disney didn't make that part up. <laughs> that it's like, no, she's like, you'll have your beautiful form, your graceful walk, your eloquent eyes. With those, you can surely bewitch a human heart. And I was just like, that's hilarious. But so the Little Mermaid was like, I am going to agree to all this. And the witch was like, okay, great. So she got her pot out. And it was so funny because she's like, cleanliness is a good thing, which I don't know if that is necessarily a mistranslation or not, but immediately like what I thought of was like cleanliness is next to godliness, uh-huh. which is one interesting because it's recalling to my mind kind of like a Christian value coming from like this sea witch. But yeah. then she like takes a fistful of snakes and uses them to like clean to scrub out the pot, which I just love the humor of that, of just like her being like, cleanliness is a good thing. And then just like start scrubbing it with snakes. Yeah. I'm just like that body humor is funny. So she says that like she cleans out the pan and then it says, and then she scratched her breast and let her black blood drop into it. So I just want you to imagine her, you know, milking her giant swampy tits for blood. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to picture that, but I did. That's the magic of like words and like the spoken language is the images that we can paint in each other's minds. And so thank you for letting me perform that magic with you. You are not welcome. (laughs) So... The steam started rising up from the cauldron, which again, when it talks about steam, I'm like, are we underwater or not? Like I'm not understanding. Anyway, it's fine. So, you know, she was just like throwing something into the pot and it would boil harder or, and I love when it says when it boiled hard, it was like the weeping of crocodiles. I'm like, oh, crocodile tears. Interesting. So finally the potion was ready and it looked like the purest water, which yeah. Surprising. That's alchemy. Considering all the gross stuff that went into it. Yeah, for real. So then the witch was like, well, there you have it. And she cut off the little mermaid's tongue. And then she could not sing or speak. And then it's really interesting because the witch is like, oh, if those polyps like try to grab you on your way out, just throw a drop of the drought like onto them. And their arms and fingers will fly into a thousand pieces. <laughs> by the way by the way and also bottoms up (laughs) very very strange thing to just be said casually yeah and then it's so funny that she like said that too because it was like but the little mermaid didn't need to do this because the polyps drew back in terror when they saw the drink and so i'm Mm. like well then why did you tell me that weird bit of information unless to illustrate how powerful that drink was yeah that she gave her And it also explains, like, when once you've heard that and you see the polyps, like, it explains why the polyps are backing away. Because, like, oh, this this thing can make my hands and feet and fingers explode into millions of pieces instantly. Keep and clear. Yeah. So as she was swimming away out to the surface, she saw her father's palace, and it looked like the torches were being extinguished, which, again, I love torches, like the idea of torches, like, under the water. But anyway... They were being extinguished because, like, everybody inside had gone to bed. The party was over and everybody was, like, going to bed. And she wished that she could just, like, go over and say goodbye to the palace because she knew that she would never be there again. 
but it was too late. She didn't have her tongue, so she couldn't say goodbye. Uh, before the sun rose, she was at the prince's castle on those marble steps that were like that led straight to the sea. And that's where she drank the burning potion. And it seemed as if the two-edged sword went up through her delicate body. And the pain was so bad that she Oof. fainted. And when she woke up, uh, she just like immediately was like awake and in like a terrible amount of pain. And she looked up and saw the prince with his coal black eyes standing over her because he had just like found her on the edge of these palace steps. And she saw that her fishtail was gone and she had the prettiest pair of white legs a girl could have. But she had no clothes. It said that. Which is disgusting. It was disgusting. (laughs) No. uh, Well, because I'm just like, oh my gosh. So she basically was fully nude, passed out on the steps, and the prince, like, walked down the steps and, like, found, like, just, like, this fully nude person. Yeah. You'd be like, what is going on Yeah, what is happening? What series of events led to this? Yeah. And so she quickly wrapped herself in her long hair. (laughs) Dang, that's some long hair. My beard grows down to my toes. I never (laughs) wears the clothes. I wraps my hairs around my bears and down the road I goes. I've never heard that, but it is definitely a thing. (laughs) That's by Shel Silverstein. (laughs) Oh, I love Shel Silverstein. I probably have heard it. But anyway, my brothers and I were obsessed with that poem of like Shel Silverstein uh, when we were kids. And so I have it like memorized. Just like, because there was a picture that went with that too of like an old man with a really long beard and he's got like his beard like wrapped around his like naked body. So Little Mermaid's pulling a, a page out of his book. Yep. Just wrapped her hair around her bear and down the road she goes. Uh, <laughs> So the prince, you know, immediately asked who she was and how she had come to be there and says she looked at him mildly, but very sadly with her dark blue eyes for she could not speak. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. She can't even explain how she got there. Yeah. Which is probably for the best. He would have thought that she was insane. She was like, well, I used to be a mermaid, but then I took this potion, you know, and be like, what? No, there's no way. Yeah. Instead, it's like, oh, no, I like he could just assume she might have come from like a shipwreck or something. Yeah. Who knows why she's naked? Maybe her dress had been dragging her down. And so she'd had to rip it off yeah. so that she could, you know, like there's reasons why you'd be naked on a man's steps. Many reasons. Yeah. You don't got to explain yourself. Ladies never explain why you showed up naked. <laughs> This is a good life advice podcast. No. Jeff's like, our lawyers would like it <laughs> that you should not listen to any of our advice. So anyway, he immediately took her by the hand and led her gently into the castle. And every step that she took, she felt like she was walking on needles and knives. But she bore it gladly. And the prince thought that she moved as light as a bubble and was astonished at her gracefulness. And it's interesting because they talk they talk about her graceful swaying movements. And so it's almost like she was graceful, like some like seaweed, you know, mm. blowing in the waves that she just had this like, like just swaying grace about her. So he very quickly, you know, got her situated with clothes and every like the finery. And she was just 
she was just amazed at the beauty like inside of the castle because of course she'd always seen from like afar but had never actually you know walked around in the castle and seen all the finery and everything and just thought it was incredible and oh yeah there's this like really sad part where there she's at dinner with him and his parents and there are some people who have come to perform and they're singing really beautifully and this like one woman is just singing a song just like really gorgeously and the prince you know claps and kind of like turns to her and is like oh wow wasn't her voice amazing and the little mermaid's like Oh, because she had a gorgeous voice, but he would never know. He would never hear it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, I was like, that's just so sad. But then when the those performers like started dancing to like the music, uh, the Little Mermaid lifted her beautiful white arms and stood on her tip on the tips of her toes and glide danced and glided dancing over the floor as no one had yet danced. And so she kind of had like turned in her singing talent for her like now like grace of body movement on her feet so everybody was yeah which she should which she should not have she's never used legs before yeah but, but this again, is a really this is a really powerful drink yeah and it's, you had to make a big trade-off to get that yeah so everybody thought that they were like oh my goodness that was so beautiful like the way that she's dancing we're amazed and even the prince was impressed by her dancing it said he always called her his little foundling which i'm like disgusting <laughs> sir no not a cute name bad form it's not a cute name maybe it's cuter in danish <laughs> maybe uh it's very infantilizing well, and considering yeah. that they are basically they're either the same age or like within like a year of each other and so, like, the fact that he's, like, calling her. And now they're older because, like, a year or something uh -huh. has, like, elapsed. And so uh, it's just very infantilizing to be like, oh, my little foundling. Oh, come here, my little foundling. Don't worry. He does more things that are infantilizing to her. <laughs> like, don't worry. He, it's not great. Their, their relationship is not great. But uh, he wanted her to kind of, like, always be with him he wanted to like show her the world and she always seemed like really really amazed and so this really interesting thing in the story happens where he has a page like pages clothes made for her which are male clothes a page mm -hmm. is a is a like a male role but he has these clothes made for her so that she's able to kind of go with him wherever he goes and so that she can experience what he's experiencing like in the world and so he she kind of becomes his little buddy his sidekick which it's like oh no she's like hardcore like friend zone but it's even kind of worse than that but one thing that's interesting about the cross-dressing is that she is already like species wise cross dressing. Right. Because she is in a human body. Yeah. And it's interesting because she was willing to trade in her body as a mer person for what she wanted. And she's also willing to dress as a man so that she can continue to explore. So, 
What's really interesting about this is that in a lot of fairy tales, and I mean, even in this one, she there are aspects of her that are very like tragic in their portrayal of femininity. Mm-hmm. But also in this, you have a character who is extremely curious, who is tenacious go-getter. Like she goes to get the things that she wants. She wants to get a closer look at a ship. She goes to get a closer look at a ship. She wants a soul. She's going to go to the Sea Witch and like get a potion so that she can take the next step to like do that. So in some ways she is like very, very tenacious and like him having pages clothes made for her so that she can, you know, ride on horseback through these forests, going up mountains with him, like traveling on ships with him. Like she is willing to do anything to, to see more, to experience more, Mm -hmm. to like fully like live her life. Which is interesting because her grandmother had kind of said like, oh, we only live a brief time or, you know, we only live for 300 years. And so we need to enjoy it while we're here. And like in a way she is like experiencing it. I mean, not the same terms that her grandmother was talking about, but like on her own terms, mm-hmm. she wants to experience the world more anyway. So when they were at home in the castle, while everybody else would sleep, she would go back down those marble steps and she would go she would cool her burning feet in the cold sea water oh yeah i just remembered like that it feels like walking on glass whenever she takes a step and stuff oh man yeah which i'm like no wonder she was horseback riding Uh, (laughs) i'm like maybe i don't know i'm like i would hope that that would make it better if she wasn't walking Mm, i feel like probably not though because horseback riding is like uncomfortable on legs when you're used to having legs yeah (laughs) Yeah, but for her, I guess, oh man, just that better. chronic pain, yeah. that chronic pain of all, as as a person who's like get, still getting over like the messing up my back, I'm like, oh, the chronic pain is like so demoralizing. And so I'm, I can't even imagine like the tenacity to ha- like want to keep like to be like, yeah. no, I'm going to go on horseback. I'm going to see the world. So yeah, she's really putting herself through it for this like immortal soul thing. So anyway, so she would sink her body like into the cold water and it would help to like relieve some of the pain that she would feel. And once her sisters came up to the surface and they were singing sadly because they had lost their sister. They didn't know where she was. And so they were searching like everywhere for her. And they recognized her as she was like in the water and like beckoning to them. And so they swam over to her and then saw that like she had legs and had like lost her tail. And so after that, they would come to visit her almost every night. And a couple times her father and her grandmother came up, but they wouldn't come close Mm -hmm. because they wanted to see her. And I'm like, that is just so sad. So tragic. So day by day, the prince grew more and more fond of his foundling growth. (laughs) But it says he loved her as one loves a dear, good child. But it never came into his head to make her his wife. Which, that's fine. I do want to keep saying, like, in this story, I mean, it's gross to call her his foundling because it's, like, infantilizing. But he, he is totally within his rights to not be interested in her as, like, a romantic interest. Yeah. He has no reason to. He doesn't know her. He doesn't know why she's obsessed with him. And he's loving and caring towards her. He's mm-hmm. a good guy. Yeah. He's a really sweet guy, but he is not, 
he's not in love with her and like that's not his fault. Mm-hmm. He I I'm like everybody better lay off this man except for I don't like that he calls <laughs> her a foundling. I do think that that's gross. So she was like super super stressed because she knew that like if he wasn't interested in marrying her that you know that she's not going to get an immortal soul and if he ever does marry somebody else she's, she's going to die the next day. And it's so interesting because they have dialogue between the two of them, but it's between like her eyes Mm -hmm. and his mouth. So I'm like, that's okay. Because it's like her eyes seem to say, don't you like me better than anybody else? And he replies, yes, you are the dearest person to me for you have the best heart of them all. You are the most devoted to me. I guess if that's what you like in a person, (laughs) you're so obsessed with me. And that's why I like you. And he says, you look like a young girl whom I once saw, but whom I certainly shall not find again. I was on board a ship, which was wrecked. The waves threw me ashore near a holy temple, which where where several young girls performed the service. The youngest of them found me by the shore and saved my life. I only saw her twice. She was the only one in the world I could love. But you are so like her, you almost take the place of her image in my soul. Hmm. And I'm like, ugh. So that girl who came out of that that convent place or whatever is the one that, you know, helped revive him. And so he's like, oh, I absolutely love her. She saved my life. And which again, he's not wrong, but also, yeah, it's the breathe well, uh, track well, dive well, breathe well situation. And he, like the girl doesn't know, he doesn't know, the little mermaid's the only one that knows. And it is one of those things that's like, I don't know, like she's, it's so frustrating for her because like to see someone that like the reason that the person that you love, loves this other person is for like, the same things that you did and you had and you like offered, but like, but, but you're just like, you did all the same things, but you're just not, you're not receiving that same like love that this other person is. So it's like, I don't know. I can just see how that's it. Like it, it, it makes it feel like, especially like personally rejected. It's like, it's something else about me that is, you know, like not up to this person's standards or whatever the case may be, you know, like, yeah, it like just makes that, that more, the rejection, like that much more specific that it's like, you did everything this other person did. And that's what he's saying. He loves about this person, but like, he doesn't love me, even though I did those same things. It's something else. Yeah. And just, he didn't know, but it's like, you know. Yeah. No, I love how you put that because it is like how often that happens, like in life where it's like, everybody always wants to take Hans Christian Andersen's stories and like, use them as autobiographical like Mm. stuff. But it's like, you know, I think about how often he would think to himself, like, like I'm a good writer. Why am I not getting the same accolades as like somebody else who's a good writer or like, I'm also funny and witty. And like, why isn't anybody, why don't people like me in like the same way? What is it about me? That's defective. He was constantly asking himself, what is it about me that's defective? Because like, I will try to like change it. Cause he was like, Oh, my parents were poor. And so like, I grew up poor. And so maybe if I improve my manner, if I improve my education, if I improve my, maybe then people will see like what a shining light I am. Yeah. And so that's like an interesting thing to point out that, I mean, like, and especially like in relationships when it is like, Oh, he thinks that like, I'm like pretty and graceful and 
enjoy adventuring just as much as he does. Like I'm a great adventure companion. And like, we like all the same things. Like, why doesn't he love me? Like, why can't he see me? Yeah. And sometimes it's like, you know, attraction just like is what it is. And like, sometimes people aren't attracted to you Mm. or they love you as like a, a friend or like a dear acquaintance or whatever, like whatever their relationship is. Like (laughs) he is infantilizing her, but yeah, it's like, he's just not that into you, sweetie, which is really sad. It's like, I mean, you see it in movies and I like, I've seen it in real life with people. I, I know maybe even me, but like, you know, where you've got like this, you've got your friend that you're like, or whatever, this person that you're like super interested in. And they're like, Oh, I would like, just really want to be with like a person that's like, this and this and this and this or whatever, like describing the person that they're like, the, their ideal like companion. And you're like super in love with them. You're like, I, that is me. Like that could be me. You know what I mean? Like the, you feel like they're describing you, but it's like, but but for whatever reason, that's still not you, you know? Like, it, I feel like that's like a trope yeah. in movies that you see, but it's like, I, I do, I have heard many people, like other, like guys, like in high school or college or whatever, like describe that situation. Yeah, of like, what do they have that I don't have? Yeah, it's like you say you want these things and you're describing, I feel like you're describing me and things that I could offer, but but it's not me. So it's like, what is it that you really want if you're if it's not these things that you're saying, you know? And it's like, there's a lot that goes into it. Like you said, like attraction works in, you know, lots of different ways. Like, like the physical attraction is part of it and also just like the way people like connect and click like personality wise or whatever. But, it, you know, it doesn't make it feel any less like sad for you when you're in that situation. Yeah, it's heartbreaking because it is like that unrequited love that hurts and is painful. And then she has the added stakes of like, and an immortal soul. Her no, her life and immortal soul are on the line. Like her 300 yeah. year lifespan is going to be cut short. And also she's not going to get like, a, you know, a soul out of it that she can like live on forever. Yeah. Like losing 200 years of your I mean, she'll lose more than that. But it's like if you were to go to like average human lifespan length, you know, to sacrifice 200 years to gain an eternity like afterwards, it's like that is a deal that anyone would make any day of the week. But to just be like, oh, to I mean, I don't know, maybe apparently for her it is worth it, but just like just the chance to have that happen is worth dramatically decreasing that one bit of life that you have. Yeah. So he's explaining like, okay, so this other lady, she like belongs like to this temple. She like works in this like religious like sense. And so I will probably never see her again because like if she's cloistered in a convent, like it's, it's not going to happen with us. And the little mermaid was just like devastated because she's just like he doesn't know that i saved his life like exactly what you're talking about of like i have that like i did that too like i did so much to save your life too you could be in love with me for saving your life so she's like oh he doesn't know that i saved his life that i carried him over to the sea where that temple was and i looked when all that happened and i saw that beautiful girl that he loves better than me and she belongs to this holy temple and she's never like going to be interested in him. So why not me? Yeah. Like if she's working in this temple, then like, why not me? Why can't that happen? I will cherish him, love him, give up my life for him. Like, Oh, sweetie. But pretty soon the prince's parents had decided, Hey, it's time for you to get married to somebody. We've made a, an arrangement with a King in a neighboring kingdom who wants a husband for his daughter. And so we are going to send you over to 
like visit that kingdom and negotiate that situation. And the prince kind of said to the little mermaid, he's like, okay, I have to travel over here to see this princess who's supposedly like super beautiful and amazing because that's what my parents want me to do. But they can't force me to bring her home to marry her. And I can't love her. She's not going to be the beautiful maiden like in the temple that you remind me of. And then he says, if I were to choose a bride, I would rather choose you, my foundling with the speaking eyes, which at least like, so for like a moment, she was like, oh my gosh, like this is hopeful that he's like, okay, just so you know, like I have to go on this trip. I don't have to marry her. If I have to marry somebody, I'll probably marry. I'd rather marry you. If I can't marry anybody, like uh, if I can't marry this one person, you're a great second place, which... Yeah, but it's like, a, I mean, even then, it's like... That made me want to die. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's like, it's a, a hope. It's like, finally, this person's acknowledging the things that I would have wanted them to say and acknowledge. But at the same time, it's like not... There's nothing actually behind it because it's like, but that is not an option. Like, you know, even I, even as he's saying it, he knows it's like... That's not an option. This is going to happen. So like, what ma- what does it matter what he says then? It's like, and giving this person that hope. Yeah. Like, oh, it could be like that, but only then it's like, oh, hey, like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that I would be willing to marry you, but I'm going to like, right as I'm going off to go and marry someone else. It's like, oh, that, that makes me feel so much better. Like, oh, you would have, but then you don't like, does that make it any better? It's like, I yeah. say that kind of makes it worse. Cause it's like, I could have had this thing and, but then it still gets like taken away from me. Yeah. Don't worry. It gets worse, Jeff. I know. I know. I'm already, I'm just ramping up the upsetness. It's starting now. It's rolling. Because, yeah, it's like right after he says that of like, if I were to choose a bride, I would rather choose you, my dumb foundling. <laughs> my foundling with the speaking eyes. And he kissed her red lips and played with her long hair and laid his oh, head man. on her heart mm. so that it dreamed of happiness and of an immortal soul. I'm like, oh, don't be kissing her. Yeah. Don't be playing with her hair and laying your head on her chest. You are toying with her emotions. So that I'm like, buddy, inappropriate. So they went on this trip together, like because she was so brave and not afraid of the sea. She like went on the <laughs> ship with him, like, uh-huh. you know, in her pages clothes to travel over to this kingdom, like with him. And... There's this like super sad scene whereas it's nighttime and they're like gliding over the water and she looks down into the water and she can see the light coming up from her father's palace and knows that she'll like never be down there with them again. And that like, you know, he this guy is on his way to check out this lady. I mean, like she's going to be dying soon. Like it's kind of like it. And she's just like staring down. So tragic. Hans Christian Anderson. Oh my gosh. Just being like, oh, let's drag it out and be painful. (laughs) So the next morning, the ship, nope. The next morning, the ship sailed into the harbor of this like neighboring kingdom. And the church bells were ringing, of course, because... We can't not have the church bells ring every like couple pages. <laughs> so <laughs> the church bells were ringing and like everybody was kind of out for these like festivities of like, here, let's show this prince like how great our kingdom is and stuff because he's here to meet our princess. And she wasn't there yet. And the prince was kind of just like asking people like, oh, yeah, like, you know, what, what do you know about her? What can you tell me about her? And they were like, oh, she is so 
She's so beautiful. She's so smart and witty and funny. She's really, really well educated because she's actually been at this temple convent no. that was like far away. And so, you know, she gained all this like education and stuff. So she's like just the full package, just incredible lady. And at last she arrives and it said the little mermaid was anxious to see the beauty of the princess and she had to acknowledge it a lovelier being she had never seen. And yeah, just absolute devastation mm -hmm. because it's like the carriage rides up and a door opens and the prince sees this woman and is immediately like, oh, it's you. You were the one that saved me when I was laying as a corpse on the shore. And he just like goes over and like wraps her in this embrace. He, was like, oh, I'm so happy. And he was saying this to, like, The Little Mermaid. Like, what I never dared to hope for is finally fulfilled. And oh, so, he, like, he, he is living his fullest happily ever after yeah. right now. And she's just, like, standing there absolutely devastated. And he was like, um, I know that you'll rejoice with me in all of my happiness because you are my most devoted friend. Oh. Oh, God, so painful. And so the Little Mermaid, like, kissed his hand, and it said it seemed already as if her heart were broken. She already felt basically like sea foam. <laughs> like, she's like, I'm dead inside. <laughs> so, like, the wedding was basically immediately upon us. And it's so sad because, like, the Little Mermaid just, like, the most gorgeous whatever could be going on. And she saw nothing, felt nothing. Mm -hmm. It said her eyes did not see the holy ceremony. She thought of the night of her death and of all she had lost in this world. So it's just it's like so tragic. She's like just standing there completely like numb and dead inside at all of the festivities. Yeah. And it's like that feeling. I mean, there's so much like feelings going on there, but the feeling of, you took this big risk, you made this big gamble and it didn't pay off. Yeah. It was like you sacrificed, you walked on glass every day that you were on land. Yeah. And you did that because you had the hope that you might get something like that was dear to you. And then now it's like, no, you don't. And yeah. it's over. Like, you, you know, everything is over. There's no like picking yourself back up and like moving on with the next thing. It's like, no, her existence is done yeah and it's so sad because it's this guy is really like almost like next to faultless like in the whole situation yeah of it's not his fault that he wasn't in love with her it's not his fault that like it wasn't gonna work out he wasn't the one who made her you know do that gamble yeah he he doesn't owe her that yeah and it's like i don't think she even blames him no and and it's like it's just so painful to watch as she goes to this wedding yeah and is already just like completely like she wants to be happy she cares about this person she's hung out with this guy for like so long she saved his life like she deeply cares about him and she probably does like want him to be happy but like <laughs> At the same time, her heart is completely breaking for herself. Yeah. Which, again, it's like Hans Christian Andersen, like, so on point for, like, the human experience and, like, the complications of, 
like loving relationship or like, you know, being in love and it's unrequited. And Hans Christian Andersen definitely knows that feeling. Mm-hmm. like happened to him so many times where he was just like, I'm completely obsessed with this person. And they're like, Oh no, thank you. <laughs> and he's so it's, Oh man. But you know, as much as he was an expert about that, like a lot of human beings have experienced that in their life of like, yeah. I deeply care about you. I long for you, but it's not going to happen. Like that's not the situation. Oh, tragic. Anyway. So, After the big fanfare and wedding, they get onto the boat so that they can sail back to like his kingdom. And this like tent, this like ornate tent was built in like the middle of like the boat. And it was supposed to be the like wedding chambers for the couple, which can I just say like, that's awkward AF like that. No, (laughs) it's their wedding night. Not everybody on the boat needs to be like, Hey, look, we made you a bang tent. Like (laughs) we all are going to be like partying and having a great time. And we all know that you're going to be in this tent hooking up so hot for you. So everybody gets on the boat and like the boat is like setting sail. And uh, it's like the prince is kissing his beautiful bride and playing with her black hair. And like hand in hand, they went into the splendid tent together And then it became quiet on the ship, which I'm like, okay, guys. Oh, so awkward. Anyway, so the little mermaid, she walked over just to like the side of the boat and was looking out toward the east because she was looking for the first rays of dawn. She, this is going to be a long night for her. I'm going to look death right in the face. Yeah. So as she was staring off, her sisters, they come up out of the water and they were now missing their long, beautiful hair. It had all been cut off. So her sisters like come up out of, they come out of the sea and their hair has been like hacked off of them. And they're looking up at their sister and they're like, so they were like, we all went to the sea witch to see if there was any help that could be given for you tonight. And she gave us this knife. Look how sharp it is. <laughs> and which I was like, I love. Look how sharp. <laughs> and before the sun rises, you need to thrust this into the heart of the prince and let his warm blood fall onto your feet and your feet will grow back together or your legs and your feet will grow back together into a fishtail and you can become a mermaid again and you can come back and you can live your 300 years before you turn into seafoam with us which i just realized how dark that would be considering like they all are born one year after each other yeah. and so like at 300 years old they'll be, be like, like <laughs> yeah at 294, you know, the first sister, like, and she's like, oh, no. Uh, and it's just every year watching another one of your sisters turn into sea foam. Anyway, dark. So they're like, quick, here you must die before the sun rises. Our grandmother is so sad that all of her hair has fallen out, <laughs> which I'm like, yipes. And we had our hair cut off by the sea witch so that she would give us this blade quick. Go, which I'm like, that's so interesting that uh, the Little Mermaid's greatest asset was her tongue, but the her sisters, it was their hair. <laughs> I'm like, man, I think that lady was just like, what do I need ah, to like weave a basket quick? <laughs> like, it needs to give you like your hair. Like, I don't know what she's into. 
Maybe she's like, oh, my snakes really uh, like your hair. And <laughs> I don't know her deal. Anyway, so kill the prince and come back. The sun is already starting to rise. And they gave her the knife and sank back to the sea. And so the little mermaid took the knife and she walked over to the tent and she pulled back a curtain. And she looked at the beautiful bride with her head asleep on the prince's chest. And she bent down and kissed his brow, which I'm like, hey, whoa, inappropriate. <laughs> She's about to murder him. What does it matter? Yeah. So she like looked up and the sky was already starting to brighten red with the sun. And she looked at the knife and she looked at the prince. And in his sleep, he murmured his bride's name, oh. which is like, oh, dang uh, but he's just like so in love with this like other woman he's like you know calling her name in his sleep and the mermaid it says that only his bride was in his thoughts and the knife trembled in the mermaid's hand mm -hmm. and she like realized in that moment that she was like i can't do this like i can't i can't kill this man like he doesn't deserve this this isn't like what is supposed to happen and so she threw the knife out into the waves and it says it gleamed red where it fell and it seemed as if drops of blood trickled out onto the water. So she gave the prince one last glance and then she jumped, leapt off of the ship into the sea and when she touched the water, she dissolved into foam. But... Now the sun rose up out of the sea and the little mermaid didn't feel death. She saw the bright sun and over her head hovered hundreds of lovely transparent beings. And she herself was like lifting up out of the water away from the sea foam. So uh, they were all singing. It says their speech was melody, but so spiritual that no human ear could hear it just as no earthly eye could see them. Without wings, they floated through the air. And so she quickly, the Little Mermaid quickly like called out to one of these other beings and was like, what's happening? Like, what, what have I become? Like, what's going on? And the other called out, we are daughters of the air, a mermaid. And then it's like, okay, listen, it's a bunch of, like, it's about to have a Christian turn. A lot of books to take out the Christian turn, they just have her dive into the ocean and she turns into sea foam and like yeah. that's the end. But this is like a, a bunch of like exposition that basically goes like this. This daughter of the air explains, oh yeah, so like mermaids, they don't have a soul and they can't gain one unless they gain the love of an immortal. And we're like, yeah, we already know that. Why are you telling us that again? <laughs> that's bullcrap. So they're saying, but with the daughters of the air... We also have no soul, but we can earn one through our good deeds. And it says, we fly to the hot countries where the close pestilent air kills men. And there we bring coolness. <laughs> we spread the fragrance of flowers through the air. So if you've ever smelled something very pleasant, it was a daughter of the air floating it towards your face. They do these good deeds and they fly around. And after they work so hard for 300 years of doing good, then they receive their immortal soul and can live 
forever. And because this little mermaid had striven with her whole heart after an immortal soul, this chance was being given to her. So hearing this, the little mermaid like turned, it said, lifted her bright arms toward God's son. And for the first time, she felt tears because uh, mermaids can't cry. I don't know if I covered that. Or can they just not feel it because they're underwater and it just like oh, yeah, blends no, that in. Makes, that, that makes more sense. So she, the first time she felt tears, she'd had tears yeah. <laughs> before, but. This is the first time she could actually feel them. Yeah, just, that's why I just step outside into the rain whenever I'm crying. So I can't tell the difference. <laughs> that was so sad. I'm trying to think of the line from Blade Runner where he's talking about like, all those memories gone, like tears in rain. Then he shuts down because he's an android that doesn't have a soul also. The parallels are striking. Yep. The Little Mermaid and Blade 2 are actually uh, two halves to the same coin. I don't give a crap. What did I call it? (laughs) Blade 2, which is about a guy that kills vampires. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I stand by what I said. So the mermaid, she looks over. I mean, now daughter of the air, not a mermaid anymore. But she turns and she sees that the prince and his bride have you know, heard some kind of kerfuffle, probably because people saw her freaking jump off of the boat. (laughs) They're like, what did this girl just do? Yeah, like, oh no, she disappeared. She's on the water. Anyway, so she sees the prince and his bride searching for her in the waves and they're looking down at the bubbling foam. And it says, invisibly, she kissed the forehead of the bride, smiled to the prince and flew into the air with the other children of the air. And I love that it includes that, like, kissing the bride this time first to kind of say, like, it's not your fault. Like, I I don't, like, blame you for this. And then the story ends in this horrible way that people (laughs) absolutely did criticize Uh Hans Christian Andersen for at the time. They were like, no, sir, why did you do this? This is crap. Because it goes on to have more explanation about like how things go. But this is a little snippet that is basically meant for the children who are listening to the story Uh where the other like child of the air, daughter of the air that she had talked to was like, Oh, here's another little tidbit. Every time you go into a room and there's a naughty child present, (laughs) you will lose one of the years that you've earned. And now you have to like earn even more years to get to your immortal soul. But if you fly into a room and you see a well-behaved child, one year will be taken off and you will receive your soul sooner. And this is so that children will behave because every time a bell rings, an (laughs) angel earns its wings is basically the concept is like, oh, Uh if, if you behave and you feel a little breeze coming in through the window and you're behaving, that is a daughter of the air having to work less hard to receive her immortal soul. And that is how The Little Mermaid ends. Amazing. Yes. So that was a super, super long story. I know every time we do a Hans Christian Andersen, it is like an epic tale. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of Mer May. Maybe you've heard some tales that you had not heard before, some extra lore. But we hope that 
knowing the original story helps you to appreciate uh, how much Disney changed and how much we love Disney for it. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that as an ender, but like your laugh was uh, was like uh, it's either perfect ender or like made it feel strange. I don't know, but I I still kind of just love it. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar That that would totally turn me off. I don't I don't like that. I was like, I need you to know I'm not into the bang tent. Noted. <laughs>